episode 106 hot shot scott and we've got some uh some travel and recaps to do. I don't know. I mean, at the meeting, at the big meeting in Marymore Park, you were like, let's not make this about Washington. We've got people listening in Cincinnati. That's right. We and do. St. Louis. And we got to make it more for them. So I don't know whether my trip to Aberdeen and your trip to the Red Lion and Sequim <laughs> yes. is, going to, uh, is going to meet approval in Kansas City, Missouri. Well, I think you and I going to small town Western Washington could be relatively entertaining <laughs> for people. Now, did you see the come as you are sign when you pull into Aberdeen? The, the- I went to Aberdeen, Washington, and yes, I saw the come right. as you are sign. Yeah. It was on the it's on a big like bridge when you come right through. That's right. There's lots of bridges. I'm very confused. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm one of these guys that when he gets confused, I'll typically take matters into my own hands and get into the Internet and try to figure the map. See, I'm, I was going over bridges, bodies of water, and then taking a right and going over another body. They must have – this is like – they should build a stadium on this called the Three River Stadium. I mean, I couldn't figure out where I was – it was one way going one way and then the other way, and I, I was oh. all confused with Aberdeen. But, yes, I am proud to say that in this summer of loan – after my wife complained for years that we haven't seen enough of Washington, you can check Leavenworth off the list. Okay, I'm You check- can ch- check the w- Wenatchee River no, off it. No, bull crap. That counts, what do you mean? That doesn't count as two. It's the I, same trip. I went swimming in the Wenatchee, <laughs> Wenatchee River. No, no, does everybody who go to Leavenworth go on the Wenatchee River? Sure they do. That's no, why that's you go baloney. to Leavenworth. That's baloney. But you're trying to get two for one on the Leavenworth trip. Come on, I want, I want two for one. <laughs> I know you do. I did both of those experiences. Okay, I went to little old town Leavenworth, a little German town. Sure, yeah, yeah. I went to dinner there. I went. I had lunch on the Wenatchee River. Ooh. I went floating down. I got out of the float. Come on! I did. So, I swam in the Wenatchee Rapids, the big little rapids. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> All right. So two for one. On I that did one. Whidbey. I did tubing in Lake Washington. But I did. You I, live close to Lake Washington. That's not so trip. Seeing Western Washington, but Lake Washington is not near my desk in my office, and that's where I sit. That's true. Underneath, and then Whidbey, you didn't invite your wife, so she's still well, wanting she, to go to Whidbey. I, I, she wasn't invited. Right, I went well. with a friend who went. We went crabbing. Come on, I went crabbing. That's and true. Give me some props. It's very northwest of you to go crabbing. And now, after, and I won't go through why. I mean, we talked a lot about it on 105P for the people that are listening to this that are patrons and have access to it. And I do have some big news, by the way, for non-patrons. Yes. I hope people will receive the offer kindly because I mean it with uh, with good spirit. Um, Best Western Inn. Or I West- went to the Best Western Plus, Plus in Aberdeen. Yes. We went on Thursday last week. You went to Squim. Correct. On uh, Friday morning? No, I did, Saturday morning. I did one night in Aberdeen. And yep. I, you know, look. I know everybody. I, I I tweeted some pictures out, and people were making fun of Aberdeen. And oh, really? Oh, yeah. And then I went to Ocean Shores on the night that I got there. We stayed one night at the the Best Western Plus. Yeah, my home away from home. That's I felt right. very comfortable. <laughs> now wait, when you, when you when you drove through Aberdeen yeah. and you saw the town, did you then understand why Kurt may have taken his life or no? Yeah, I don't want to joke about Kurt taking his life. <laughs> All right, well, because I don't feel I do. like I'm qualified enough because I don't know who really Kurt is. I know Kurt Cobain. I pretend to know like Nirvana, but I don't really know. I know his ex-wife or his the widow or I don't know. Yes, Courtney still Love. She was always crazy. She was a lunatic. She hasn't been around in a lot of a long time. I haven't She's seen her on TV and everything. Spending that Nirvana money like crazy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I don't really know about Kurt Cobain. Okay. I know from you. He he lived in Aberdeen. He was he grew up in Aberdeen. Born and raised in Aberdeen. Yeah, yes. I didn't go look at houses. You go to look at his house or I did, something. Yes. I didn't do that. I went no. to his childhood home. No, no. My family could not have cared any less, but I loved it. 
Oh. Yeah, it was fun. But Nirvana was the biggest band in the world, I think, when you got... When, did when, you I, when I got here, I can tell you that Pearl Jam was right. huge. Okay. In December of 94, when I came, January 95. Okay, well, Kirk took his life in the spring of 94, so you just missed it. So he didn't take his life because of the new midday show that replaced <laughs> the sports babe on KJ. No, not yet. Is that yet. what you're saying? He knew you were coming, though. He okay. knew you were coming. He wanted the okay. easy way out. Yeah. So I, so my, I, I thought it was just fine. And I got to tell you, I, you probably will think that I'm, I'm crazy and I'm not telling you the truth because I don't like to get once I don't like to get going. Once you get me going and yeah. get me out of here and get me somewhere, I actually have a little hop in my step. It's not like I get to Aberdeen for a night and I'm in this backwards town or what have you and I'm miserable. I actually have a little excitement of seeing sure. someplace new. Yeah, I'm with you. We went to a little restaurant on the water the guy was the nicest guy you'd ever met on the water in Aberdeen or Ocean Shores Aberdeen okay so he played two we, we went on his birthday which is August 27th Thursday okay. we got there in time for a morning game and an afternoon game doubleheader and then I was a little envious because all of his team was staying in Ocean Shores oh, I heard yeah. all this about Ocean Shores and they were staying in what they called an oceanfront hotel oh sure right on the beach and so Brilliant. you know yeah. you know we're staying we're, we're you know what the poppers over here are staying at the <laughs> uh, best western plus in Aberdeen you have a Taco Bell front room right that's, that's what you're staring that's at right. the Taco actually Bell. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm over a uh, uh I was over a railroad track and some body of water, some little body of water. It's there always lots, unclear. Lots of, yeah. different, lots of different bridges, one way, the other way. I don't know. It's kind of where the ocean starts, but then there's a river. It's yeah. All, yeah, it's all so, confusing. So Brett says, well, let's go be with the rest of the sure. the rest of the team. They're all staying in the up on the Upper East Side. Oh, yeah. They're moving on up like George Jefferson. They're staying in the oceanfront-like Palisade Hotel or okay. Pacific uh, something. So paradise. That, paradise. Something Paradise Hotel in okay. Ocean. And I, and we're driving there thinking, yeah, the, the Levies are, are shacking up in the Best Western Plus, which, by the way, was fine. It was you guys, perfect. So they're at highfalutin. I don't know if I got COVID-19, but it was fine. Well, still still not determined, but they're highfalutin. You guys are lowfalutin. Is that where you guys were? Kind of lowfalutin hotel? We were in, we were in Aberdeen, and yeah. they were on the ocean. Okay. And I couldn't wait to see this oceanfront palace. <laughs> yeah. And so we drove the what twenty five miles sure. to Ocean Shores from Aberdeen. Done it plenty of times. And to join the rest of the, the rest of the group, and I was interested to note that this oceanfront hotel that they were all staying at. <laughs> I didn't realize that oceanfront was defined a little differently in Ocean Shores, Washington, <laughs> than maybe it was in let's say Palm Beach, Florida. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You come out of the back of the Oceanfront Hotel. Oh, yeah. Then you catch an Uber and you go about a mile and a half west until you get to the beach. That's true. It's like, I, could, I, could, I couldn't even see the beach I know. from the back of the hotel. It's actually true. It is a, it's always a longer walk than you oh think. Oh, my God. Yeah. Let, let's go to the beach. And you're going through sand dunes and tall grass. Well, I didn't and- do that because my wife and kid did it. Kids did it. And then they called me and I was, at the, I was in the car you know, tweeting some sort of picture yeah, yeah. to the listeners. And they're like... You know, you could drive the car here. Just drive the car. You don't yeah. have to just drive the car. So I, so I drove the car. I get to, and I, I'm driving. I get onto the beach, and there's nothing but horse shit all over the, all over the beach. <laughs> Not nothing, okay. but I mean, there's okay. probably some. There's a few things. And there's car. I've never seen anything like this. There's cars parked on the actual yeah. beach. And there's this one lunatic who had to park his car 
100 yards closer to the water than everybody else. And what do you think we found when we got there? I saw your tweet, and the water was up halfway up his wheel. I mean, he was done. He's in a two-wheel drive car. And by the way, he's not even there. We're all trying to – not we are. I wasn't trying to pick up the car. I wasn't helping. You're a team player. Everybody else, everybody else was trying to pick up yeah, the car. Yeah. He's nowhere to be found. Somebody said uh, he's high somewhere. Yeah. He pulled his car right like a Honda right up, and it's sinking into the ocean. The ocean will reclaim that car yeah. if you're not careful. And yeah. everybody else is worried about the car, but he couldn't give two shits about it. <laughs> And so then, and then you so you had the twelve kids on the team, the ten kids on the team. They're playing football sure. in the sand, and I'm looking. I'm going, boy, is the quarterback telling him, "I want you to go up to that horse shit and take a left." <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, there's poop all over the smell, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that's what you got out of by, being at the ocean. By the time I was done at Ocean Ocean Shores, I looked at my family. I was like, "The best Western Plus, baby, <laughs> Aberdeen, <laughs> Washington." <laughs> Okay, who's highfalutin now? <laughs> I'd rather be overlooking the train track and the little river yeah, yeah. than be 150 miles from the ocean and the ocean front. Uh, what did I tell you? Pal- P- Pacific, Pacific something or other. Yeah, I, yeah. I, just, I just lost it again. Yeah, yeah. Paradise, something Par- Paradise Hotel. Turns out not really, uh, not really truth in oh, advertising is the, on the Paradise. Oh, God. <laughs> but the, 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 the end result was we had a good time. Good. We stayed overnight. We had fun. They did well in the games. We uh, we got in the car and drove home. And we, we, the Levies like a, a, a nice pita pit. Now, we, we go looking for pita pit. You ever heard of, of, of a pita pit? I haven't, no. Okay, yeah. Is oh, it a yeah. restaurant? Oh, yeah. It's a little chainy re- chain of restaurants okay. that are a lot of them in Portland. There's not many here. Okay. We went looking for a pita pit. So we came out in Tacoma. We went downtown Tacoma yeah. for a pita pit. Nice. I can check downtown Tacoma now. <laughs> Never to return. <laughs> we went to a pita pit, had a hell yeah. of a pita sandwich. Oh, no. Oh, Delightful. It was, dive. it was wonderful. And we had a good time. We laughed and good. we had a good time. But did I have a better time or not as good a time as you had in S-E-Q-U-I-M? That's right. right. Squim, Washington. Yeah. Where my, my grandparents lived. At the lived. Red Lion in Squim. Yes, we were at the something called the Red Lion at Squim. Now, I... <laughs> I don't want to say my wife's snooty, but she did grow up in Bellevue on the water. So okay. there's a little Now, when bit she of grew snoot. up in Bellevue on the water, yeah. was she a mile and a half from the water? <laughs> like the palace, whatever it is? I don't think it was that far. No, literally like the on the water. Hotel? Okay. Yeah, so we were at the Red Lion. Red Lion and Squim. I've been to Squim, by the way. Oh, you have? Yeah. When I first came to town and I was the new guy, the new midday guy with no ratings. Yes. I had to do appearances. Oh. And yeah. oh my God, they had me throwing donuts at people from the from the gas station at Montlake and before a Husky game. I know exactly where you're talking about. They too. had me at like a card room in Shoreline. They had me on a bus to Sequim, Squim, to a, a casino a with bus. listeners. Yeah, they oh, put us on a bus. With listeners. Oh, for the God, love of God. <laughs> and. I did a bus trip with listeners, but it was yeah. a Cube 93, Seattle's number one hit yeah. music station. I, I, Not I, sports radio. <laughs> different crew. Yes, it was. Different crowd. <laughs> Going to see Kelly Rowland from Destiny's Child. Different crowd. Yes. Uh, there were probably more teeth. Yeah. <laughs> I had a blast on our trip. I don't were know what happened there, to you. It was a full set of teeth. Yeah, everyone so had their when teeth. When I got right. home from Squim, I think I went to station management, and I said, I, I pulled a Derek Coleman. There's a famous Derek Coleman. I went to school with Derek Coleman. There's a famous Derek Coleman story. Remember Derek Coleman, number one pick uh, out of Syracuse who went to the New Jersey Nets? Number one, and Gary Payton was number two that year, if I want to. I think so. And I had, a, I had a Derek Coleman Olympic jersey. I like Derek Coleman. Yeah. Good player. I pulled a Derek Coleman okay. when I came back from Squim or Shoreline <laughs> or the gas station. Yeah. I bu- 
There's a famous Derek Coleman story. Derek Coleman was the first overall pick, so he made a lot of money, and he was with the New Jersey Nets, and and he was there when Chuck Daly, I think Chuck Daly, I'm pretty sure it was Chuck Daly, became late in his career the coach of the New Jersey Nets. You have to check. I think it was Chuck Daly. Post-Bad Boys. Oh, post-Bad Boys. Okay, yeah, yeah. And Chuck Daly was like, I'm cleaning this thing up. I am cleaning this this crap up. <laughs> and he made his first rule was when we travel on the plane from city to city, yeah. we're wearing... We're wearing sport coats. Oh. We're wearing sport coats, and if you don't sp- wear a sport coat on the plane, the team plane, you get fined. Okay. And on the very first trip the, that year, they got on the plane. He was sitting in the first row, Chuck Daly, and <laughs> yeah. the guys were getting up. Sport coat, carry cuts, sport coat, sport coat. And up came Derek Coleman in flip-flops. <laughs> And, a, and shorts yeah. and a cutoff short Guy shirt. after my own heart. And he stopped and he said, hey, coach. And he pulled out a check and he, and he wrote, to the New Jersey Nets. He said, you fill it in for the rest of the year. <laughs> Whatever it is times 41. Go ahead, fill it in I because it. I ain't wearing a sport coat. Good for him. So when I came back from Squim, I kind of yeah. pulled a Derek Coleman. I went to the station. I was like, yeah. I know that you guys want to pay me $300 to go sit at a card room and, and shake hands. What is it that I can pay you (laughs) not to have to do that? Yeah, that's how you know. I'll tell everybody. That's how you know you've made it in radio. When you don't need the appearance money, when it's not worth your time, that's how you know you've made I was still slopping around the city for appearance fees, so it wasn't quite there with you and Sorry, I I interrupted. Squim. Squim, Washington. We just went just to get out of the house. You know, we had to put our dog down a couple of weeks ago, so we have a little more freedom to just up and go. Thank you. So we wanted to go to something called the Olympic Game Farm, which I used to go to as a kid. It was never heard of it. I loved it. Sounds a a little like Lion Country Safari in West Palm Beach, where the 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 the, the animals come to your car. That's what it is. Exactly. You drive right through, and the animals come to your. That's exactly right. right. Yeah, so there's there's elk coming to you. Who are, yeah. I didn't realize elk was so big. And by the way, Lion Cute. Country Safari was mentioned in your um, Tiger King. Tiger King. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah, it's yeah. still open. Lion I, Country Safari. I haven't Safari. been in a long time. Elk come up. Bison. You know, the time you saw a bison. I don't even know what a bison is. Kind of like a buffalo. Yeah. They, they put their head in there. You feed them bread. We could not have loved it anymore. Huge hit. The, oh, really? The game farm was amazing. If you haven't gone, I, I think your kids' How long do you ride through? Well, you buy a pass and you can go as long as you want. I probably think it probably took us maybe 35, 40 minutes to get through. Mm-hmm. But you can, you can, we took two laps because it was so fun. We bought more bread. We were loving it. These oh, animals. You're, oh, you're feeding them right out of the, right out of the car? Out of the car. They put their, their heads right in the window. I saw your picture. Crazy. That's a yak. A freaking yak. Uh, yeah. Just, I don't know what a yak is. Uh, who does? I don't know what they are either. They got right big in, Right in there. Stuck their head right in there. I what saw that picture. Deer. good on Twitter. Deer come up yeah. to feed the deer. They're so cute. It's yeah. great. I yeah. mean, but the car's a little messy after that. Yeah. But it was a blast. Love okay. the game farm. Huge hit. Okay. Tried to drive up to Hurricane Ridge on the same day. It's, you just have to drive. I don't know what that is. Okay. It's just, you get really high up on the, and then it's the best view you ever saw in your life. Okay. Okay. I I went there as a kid. We tried to do. Yeah. It was about a hour and a half wait just to get into the parking lot. Yeah. Yeah. Turned around. Ain't happening. So Hurricane Ridge crossed that off. Did you go to the casino? (laughs) You didn't go to the casino. Uh, I thought the casino was the only thing in Squim. Well, Isn't that the one that Sunny Six Killers always on TV? Yes. With the crab bunker or something? I think. Or am I, th- I thinking of a different. What, what's it called? Seven. Seven Cedars. Seven Cedars. I think it's Sunny. I think yeah. Sunny Six Sunny Killer. Sunny Six Killer. Yeah. I think he does Hi, I'm Sunny Six Killer for the, <laughs> the Seven Cedars Casino. He's always like, he has like a drink in his hand and he goes from playing golf to. To being in the casino. Gaming. And it, it kind of looks behind it like Vegas. Oh, yeah, And then yeah, you yeah. go, and it doesn't look like Vegas. <laughs> well, I will say, they, did like, they put a little money into it because you can now stay there. They didn't have rooms when I first went okay, there. Okay, but was, this, was that nicer or not as nice as the Red Lion? <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't want to be snooty either, but the, the Red Lion was 
not exactly how I remember Red Lions being when I was younger because they have one well, in Bellevue that's very Well, not every Red Lion nice. is alike. It's built alike. And again, it was it was fine. It was, was fine. Was it clean? It was the Red Lion Inn was it in clean? Squim, Washington. It, it, felt, it felt like they had cleaned it. Yes, it felt clean. Uh, my wife came out of the bathroom the night we were there and was holding... Down the hall or did you have your own Well, we bathroom? had our own. It's not a hostel. <laughs> okay. And she was holding the toilet seat that came off for some reason. The, oh, the don't, don't, don't hold that. Well, it was like the top cover. She's laughing yeah, I, like, no, 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 no. how did I do this? No, what am I? <laughs> no I, don't need to, I don't need to ever see her hands now. We were... <laughs> it was the top part at least. Okay. You know, we're downstairs. My daughter's in the pool. Yeah. You know, I, there's hardly anyone there. I jump in the pool looking for a couple towels. Empty. Can't find them. Front desk lady out front. Core, you know... Indoor swimming pool. Indoor swimming pool. Did you do that? Or was that closed? No, no, it was open. We had one. It was closed at the Best Western Plus. Yeah, di- different county. It's all who knows. Because I, I called before I got there and said, close the pool or I'm not. Is that right? Yeah. Well, that, I felt good I was covering chlorine at least. I okay. stood a chance. Okay, yeah. The lady at the front desk out with her boyfriend, caressing, kissing, hugging. I'm what? Like, Can I just get a couple towels? Is there anybody else working Wait, She's here? out with her boyfriend? <laughs> oh, God. In the front, right in front of the door. Oh, like, smoking and hugging each other. She needs to go to the Paradise Hotel. And uh, exactly. Ocean Shores. No kidding. Have a little paradise. It was fine. And then walk a mile and a half to shore. And then you have to sign up for breakfast. Because you know, most places have like the hot breakfast in the morning. You go help yourself to eggs yeah, and yeah. all that. But we had a, uh, just pick pick a bag up. Okay, yeah. Well, this yeah. was, you put pick your, a bag up. you put an order in the night before, you give it to them, then you go pick it up the next morning. Yeah. yeah. And I'm waiting for our order. Okay, some eggs, sausage, I can do that. And the guy has this enormous bowl of eggs that he just puts in the microwave. And hits go or whatever hits start. And I'm like, oh my god, we're microwaving eggs. I can't believe we microwave it. We you, we you, I can scramble I can, eggs. Yeah, I can scramble you some great. Egg. I we in the microwave. You can do it. Well, I know you, you can. can. Yeah, you can do it. I can make you. A You're nice not running a restaurant here, though. No, no, but I I, I can do it a lot of different ways. You can do a lot All of right. different things with eggs. Maybe I'm snobby. Microwave yeah. eggs. You can. Oh, you can. It can oh. be done. It can be done. Right. We don't typically do that. We typically do it the. Ask Brett who who makes the best eggs in the world and literally in the world. Ask Brett; he's right there. Ask him if he's if he's if he's honest. He'll tell you literally, and everybody who's ever had him will tell you that they're the best eggs in the world. Best scrambled the best eggs, scra- scrambled eggs in the world. He makes good scrambled eggs. <laughs> Shaking his head, no. <laughs> I'll make them for you, Brett. I I know how to cook. Anyway, the the red lion was fine. The red lion, it was nice. It was fine. It was good. We had a we had a good trip. So it that, wasn't fine, was it? It was. Fine. Would you go back and stay there? Um, I probably would. Yeah. I don't know that I'd be joined by my wife. I, I don't know for sure if she would stay there again. Because there's a Days Inn, which I think was probably an upgrade in Squim, but that was sold out, so was we didn't the gr- stay there. Was the front desk girl and the boyfriend <laughs> social distancing? God, hell no. They weren't social distancing. <laughs> and I felt bad. I, I literally oh, went in the laundry God. room to get my own towel. And I'm thinking, okay, great. Now oh, I'm spreading God. it to people. Whatever happened to episode 106? Oh, that's right. The we guy in Cincinnati started. right now is going, what the hell did I sign up for here? <laughs> I don't even know where Squim is. What's Aberdeen? I, I, we should we should do some other stuff. But I would I love the game farm. It was so fun. I think Dave, I think your wife and your kids would get a real kick out of it. If you haven't gone, it's well, really a cool Lion thing. Well, we've done Lion Country Safari. Okay. Well, that's a, yeah, you probably got the really idea. young, but we could do that. But I'm not staying at the Red Lion and Squim. Well, where am I staying? Am I staying at? Am I calling? Uh, Son- hey, Sonny. <laughs> See if he has a condo. Sonny Six and- Killer. This is episode 106. <laughs> we want you to subscribe and rate us. On all the different services, Apple, we're available everywhere. I don't even have it in the notes, but I'm supposed to tell you yep. to subscribe and rate us. Also, uh, oh, I wanted to mention before we start the show. Okay. <laughs> the show's going to be an hour old before we start it. 
I mentioned to you and Steve on a on a set of texts. What do you call them? A text string. Thread? Probably a thread. A thread. Yeah, a thread. Yeah. I was going to call it a string. Yeah. Te- thread a and text a string. string. Yes. A text That's thread. What it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, text thread. That uh, that we're going to do something different. It's almost September. In fact, when people are listening to this, it will be essentially September, right? I think it. Uh, September one is Tuesday. That's right. We're about two years into this thing, and I am really, really proud of not only what we do that we that's available for free on Mondays, but you hear me talk about the patron stuff. I talk about it on Twitter all the time. I talk about it on Facebook all the time, and we do have a nice set of, of, of patron followers who get this extra content that you and I and other guys do. Yep. And I'm really proud of that stuff, and I was thinking, you know, it's been a tough summer, and... I don't know. People might hear me talk about it. I was thinking that maybe it'd be a nice gesture if we opened up for September. We've never done this before in the two years. Okay. If we offered September for free for non-patrons. Now, the one hesitation I have is I hope for five bucks that my patrons who have been with me for the year, the two years, don't get all pissy on me. Well, yeah. But I was thinking when I was driving back from, from playing golf, I was thinking, well, when you buy a shirt... A year later, that shirt might be on sale, right? That right. shirt, you, there might be a two-for-one on that shirt a year later. Right. You don't have any kind of legal standing to go back to them and say, wait a second, <laughs> you're giving two-for-one, I want my one, because I've had right. that shirt for two years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't feel like I, I should feel terrible, but I do have kind of this conscience that, oh, my God, the, the current patrons are going to be pissed. I don't think they will be, but if you are pissed, you can write me, and I'll take care of you too. But the idea is September Football season, the NFL season is going to start. We're going to have college football in a few conferences. Yep. We're going to start doing a lot of stuff like we already do the P shows. I already do the golf instruction series with Rick Fair that people like. We've done four installments already. We're going to do the fantasy football weekly show. That's we right. might do a handicapping show. You now have a setup at your house. I have one here. We're going to do some extra. We're gonna... So we do a lot for the patrons, and I want to expose it to as many people as possible. So I thought it would be a good idea. You think it's a good idea. Steve doesn't think it's a good idea. It's very clear. <laughs> where, But the majority wins. I thought it'd be nice if we opened up a free month of September to non-patrons just to expose them yeah. to the product. Now, you're going to ask me, how does it work? Ask me how it works. Hey, That's Mitch, the problem. How does this work? Okay. That's the issue. It's not as easy as just going to the Patreon site and saying, I want everybody who signs up in September to get a free free month. Right. It's just... You know, it's a big site that's got huge amounts of creators and they don't care about Mitch and they don't, yeah, yeah, whatever. So the only way for me to do this is if you'd like, if you're a non-patron and you'd like to be exposed to what we do. And by the way, when I say the month of September is free, what I'm saying is when people sign up for patron, they get to all, they have access to the whole library from two years. The previous stuff, yes. All the That's stuff right. for the last two years. Yep. So what I'm hopeful is, is that the people that take me up on this offer for a free month of September, they also get a chance to see or hear all the stuff that we've done for the last two years and what we do in September and all the new stuff that we do, okay? Yep. So the way this is going to work is you send me an email. If you're a non-patron and you'd like a free month of September, you send me an email. And what I'm going to do essentially is I'm just going to Venmo or PayPal you for the five bucks for the first month. 
Okay. Everybody who does it, who signs up, I'm just going to reimburse you the five bucks for the first month. That's the only way technically, logistically, I know how to do it. Now, I know what you're saying. You're going to say, all right, then what happens at the end? People will forget, yada, yada. When I Venmo, this is not like some sort of a gimmick. There's no, there's no commitment here. Right, right. We're, what I'm going to do is we're not what, a health club here. <laughs> no, what I'm going to do is when I Venmo you the five dollars or the PayPal the five dollars, I'm literally going to send you the link to cancel your membership on September, the last day of September, if you'd like. There's no tricks or games That's here. Right. I don't yeah. want people to think I'm trying to fool people into you know. I'm going to send you the cancel link how you cancel your your subscription because i just want and if people just want to have september to see what we've done in the last two years and see what we're going to be doing to football season if you want to stay with us great if you don't it will be simple just to click a button cancel okay i I always thought it was sort of silly when the nfl blacks out games in markets that don't sell out do they still have that no that's that 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 went away about eight eight ten years i always thought that was silly it was terrible let's expose people to the product and maybe we'll get more interest like it it never made sense to me that so i was one of the people growing up as a kid this is hard to believe but in the 1970s the miami dolphins as good as they were under don shula they had a 77,000 seat orange bowl 78,000 seat orange bowl they did not sell out home games a lot we had to literally get in a car and drive away from the stadium we were about an hour and a half away but we were in the blackout region we would literally drive to my my dad's assistant's house in Martin County. <laughs> really? <laughs> so that we would get outside of the blackout zone yeah, so yeah. we could see the game oh. on TV. Marlene, we had to go to Marlene's house to watch the game as a kid to watch the Dolphin home games. Good old True Marlene. Story. In fact, I'm going to give you another one. Oh, boy. The famous, or as I would call it, infamous game that you remember. Okay. Playoff game. Kurt Warner. Oh, blacked out. Didn't sell out playoff. Really? Game. Is that Didn't, right? Blacked out in, in, in South Florida. We had to go. My dad had a client who worked at the local NBC affiliate. We had to go. We had to like beg for him to let us come into the, the station and go into a back room so we could see wow. the Seahawks beat the Dolphins. That's a lot of work. What you year? Guys 1980. Went through. It was the 1983 season. Mitch. It season. was the 84. It was like January of 84. I want to say. It would have been Dan Marino's first playoff game, probably, or second playoff game, something like that. Was that the first round? No, they had won the week before, right? They beat the Raiders. I thought they won the week before, and then they played in that game, and then they lost in the AFC Championship the following. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. They actually lost in the AFC Championship to the Raiders, so I think they maybe beat the Broncos yeah. the week before. Maybe. maybe. What, what a game, though, in the Orange Bowl. Blacked out. Wow. Blacked out. That's a big stadium, though. 77,000. It's asking Come a on. lot. That's asking. Come on. That's this big. Was, this was... Don Shula's <laughs> Miami. True. This was the, 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 the three times in a row Super Bowl champions, for God's sakes. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, patrons. Patrons. So that's the way it works. If you are out there and you'd like to just see what we do or listen to something over the last two years or hear the golf instruction or see what we're going to do with fantasy weekly shows and handicapping, if you'd like to just experience it for September, I would like to offer to non-patrons this opportunity. All you got to do to get started is just send me an email, mitch at mitchunfiltered.com. Hey, Mitch, I'd like to be a patron in September. I will literally, personally send you five bucks i'm gonna send you five bucks you're gonna you're gonna sign up and i'm gonna reimburse you the five bucks so that you can see in september what it's all about i was and i'm gonna as i said and i'm gonna send you the link right that tells you how to cancel it if yeah. you'd like to cancel it on the last day of september so that you're not charged five for october 
I, I'm hopeful that people will like it and want to stay along with us. There's no trickery here on anyone's no. part. No, this Just, is not a double reverse. Have a, <laughs> it's not a flea flicker. I was going to bring up, I swear to you, that Randy Wade, the father of Ohio State player Sean Wade, on the last Patreon episode, I thought was really interesting. Ah, I, I heard that, yeah. This was, I didn't know we were going to talk about this here, but I wanted to bring it up anyway. I thought, oh, that, I thought he was great. I thought it was great. Yeah. Yeah. And they're starting to listen. The Big Ten starting to listen. They're starting to there's starting to be rumors percolating that maybe yeah. they're gonna do football like in Thanksgiving like Thanksgiving they're gonna start. Yeah. Instead of doing spring football. So yeah. Randy what yeah, uh, what you're talking about was on one oh five P this past Thursday. We had a father of one of the all American candidate defensive backs for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Yep on to complain he flew up there in the, Chicago he, he protested yeah. outside of the Big Ten office we want to our kids want to play and so we had him on the P episode on Thursday my first thought when I heard about this story was well he's just he just wants his kids stock to raise a little bit for the draft but really what he said was I'm not worried about my son I think he's going to be a first rounder yeah I'm worried about these other players who aren't going to play after this. They right. love it. Right. And maybe some other guys are on the maybe on the bubble for the end. You know, it's, let's do it and for then, everybody else. And then the question that everybody's asking is, are these kids safer right. playing football or are they safer scattering, going to bars, going wherever they go, yep. going home? Where are they more likely to contract COVID-19? In whatever they call the university bubble where they're being tested each and every week or each and every day yeah. and they're they're adhering to a regimen or are they more likely to be COVID positive not playing football? That's a question that keeps being asked nationally. Now, if the, if the Big Ten ends up playing, what's going to take for the Pac-12? Pac-12's out, I think. They're just out, out. Just There's just well, nothing. Well, spring, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I have a pipe story. Pipe dream. Little, Spring's little, pipe dream. A little bit later on about an LSU player who just says, you know what, I'm out. Forget it. I'm not even going to risk it. So I wonder, I'm curious if that's going to start happening too. If players are just like, forget it. I'm just going to the NFL. I don't know. Well, I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody who thinks they're going to be a draft choice in the NFL is going to play spring ball. Yeah, that seems silly. If they think they're going to be a draft choice this coming, whatever the next draft is, there's nobody going to play spring ball. None of those guys are going to play spring ball. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I have eligibility left, so just keep that in mind <laughs> sure, if anyone's... Sure you do. <laughs> anyway, okay, September <laughs> September free patron. If you want to be a patron for free in September, write me, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. Uh, coming up, the guests on this particular episode, episode 106 of Mitch Unfiltered. Uh, Kevin Pelton is an ESPN NBA writer. We got to talk about those crazy days of protests, yeah. and it looked like maybe the NBA playoffs were over and right. the players were just going to walk out of the bubble in Orlando. They've resumed. Also, we'll talk about the games that have gone on with a really terrific writer who's based here in the Pacific Northwest, Kevin Pelton, ESPN NBA writer, JT Higgins. Now, I'm going to try to sell JT Higgins (laughs) to our listeners. I know that there are certain golf stories, golf segments where people say, okay, it's golf. Mitch is talking golf. I'm not interested. Okay, JT Higgins just got the head coaching the golf head coaching job at USC the head coach of the, he's a hall of fame uh golf coach from Texas A&M was going to USC okay but that's not uh, that has no reason why I'm having him on when I looked into JT Higgins's past it's fantastic okay he he was a basketball and baseball player who then wanted to be around schools and media and what have you and he became an SID Okay. Or, or he worked in a, a sports information department. It wasn't as like, sure. he was like an assistant to the assistant, the assistant as a young guy. And his first assignment 
was he worked for the 1992, the S, the assistant SID for the 1992 Running Rebels of UNLV. Wow, is As that right? So his job was to travel with Jerry Tarkadian, Larry Johnson, Stacy Ogman, Anderson Hunt, Greg Anthony, that crew that had won the previous national championship. Then they went undefeated through the regular season. And the Dukies got them. The Dukies got them. George, George Ackles on that team George as well. George Ackles was on that team. Why can I name the starting five yes, for that team? Can. But I don't know my okay. daughter's middle name. So, so, <laughs> I mean, yes, Jesus, I want that out of my head. I don't need Her it. middle name is Bison. <laughs> yes, it is. So, Piper Bison so this good. Kid, so this kid, this guy who's now an He's my age. But this guy's first job out of school wow. was to be – so he has Jerry Tarkanian and UNLV running Rebel stories, even one that's from Seattle. But then on top of that, they convinced him to become an assistant golf coach at UNLV as a kid, and he didn't even play golf. He didn't know anything about golf. <laughs> Is that right? Because the, the coach loved him so much. Yeah. As, a, as a, He says, I'll teach you about golf. I just want you to be my assistant. That year that he signed up to be the assistant – they were recruiting a young man from Southern California named Tiger Woods. It came down to UNLV and Stanford. Wow, is that right? So he's going to tell not only the Jerry Tarkanian stories, the story of trying to get Tiger Woods and Earl Woods to come to UNLV. Yeah. He's going to tell the story of Tiger's visit to UNLV. Oh, he actually made the visit. He made a visit. Yeah, it came down to two schools. Wow. He went from 12 to 7 to 2, and the two were UNLV and Stanford. So he's got that story to Amazing. tell as well. That's so great. I just thought... Okay, people are going to hear Mitch is doing a golf thing. You don't have to like golf to want to hear about the recruitment of Tiger Woods yeah. and the story, the crazy, like, rock star stories right. of the UNLV running Rebels. If you're old enough to remember the UNLV running Rebels. Uh, UNLV was so cool when I was in high school. I graduated high school in 92 that people from Issaquah High School were wearing UNLV running Rebel gear. It was like the cool thing to wear. They, they were rock stars, that right. team. They won it. They killed Duke the year before, remember? destroyed them that's right and then there was the hot tub the thing and all that and they were in vegas and it was just yeah they were they were like larger than life characters yeah and there's a story that we're going to talk i talked to him about if you recall i'm probably going to jog your memory here greg anthony okay who's the commentator now but he was the left hand and his son by the way is one of the top nba draft choices coming out of north carolina greg anthony was on that team left-handed oh, guard I remember. okay yeah, sure he started a t-shirt business do you remember that sort of Go he started on. selling t-shirts of like running rebels and stuff and he started making so much money that the ncaa was like no 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 you're gonna you're gonna and he sued the ncaa oh yeah while he was a senior in college and the 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 resolution was i don't want my scholarship anymore i'll pay for my for my tuition and i'm just gonna keep this t-shirt business thank you very much so he played had the t-shirt business but was not a scholarship athlete because he paid his own tuition i remember hearing greg anthony's not on scholarship and i'm like why why is he not on scholarship and the announcers were talking about that because of the t-shirt okay interesting i remember hearing that story that's he was getting ready to get thrown right out of college basketball but then he sued (laughs) he sued the NCAA. anyway funny stories which so he's guessing number two jt higgins to talk about the recruitment of tiger woods and running with the running rebs and jerry tarkanian and those towels oh i hated that yeah Uh, yeah yeah, yeah. i I will say that there has been there have been times when you had a golf guy on and you've been very clear look we're going to talk about the u.s opener we're going to do this and i i I say when it's going to be a golf geeky (laughs) segment i say this is not golf geeky yeah yeah this This is not golf geeky at all good and then uh number three is the return of kenny z kenny zalas is one of these fantasy football league writers and 
and and he does podcasts and whatever, and he's in Baltimore, and we struck up a friendship last year. He was our weekly guest on the Peace Shows. Every week he came on, not the Peace Shows, but we did an extra segment for patrons, right. which we'll do again, and he's fantastic. Great. And, and listeners would write us, should I start this guy or this guy? And he would, and then we would track him and grade him, and he was unbelievable. Really? He was unbelievable. <laughs> so I, I figure That's that great. we're getting ready for Fantasy Football League drafts. If yeah. you haven't already had yours, you're probably getting ready to do yours. Kenny Zalas is going to come on this episode to give you all of the inside tips, the sleepers, what you should do in the first round, when you should when you should draft a quarterback, when you should draft wide receivers, running backs, yada, yada, yada. Great. All right? That's episode 106. Hotshot, before we begin episode 106, a few words about our partners, our sponsors like Evergreen Golf Call. Just another huge week for the stock market. We've got an Apple four-for-one stock split this week. It's exactly the time you need to trust pros like Evergreen Golf Call to help make the right decisions, which will be felt by your family for years to come. EvergreenGK.com. Their newsletter is free. All aboard. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Zeke's Pizza, all 17 locations open. Extra safe precautions dining in or pizza and growlers straight to your door. I downloaded the Zeke's Pizza app a long time ago, so literally it's three clicks now, and my mushroom-free pizza is here really, really quickly. Zeke's Pizza delivers homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler, three of the four locations open. Bellevue Place, South Lake Union, and Leshy, which is still offering a $40 bottle of Vuv Clico Champagne, which is regularly $145. Remember, Daniel's does offer delivery and pickup if you don't want to dine in. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. The Kirkland Office of Gill Mortgage, 425-250-3150. You are absolutely giving away money if you don't at least consider the incredible numbers now on 30-year fixed loans, high 2%. A few patrons contacted Jordan Flowers' team this week, I've heard. The Kirkland office at Guild Mortgage, 425-250-3150. This is episode 106. You're going to giggle, and it starts right now. Unfiltered. When they went to this process where they have 12 dingbats in a room deciding who's going to play for the national championship, I mean, the regular season polls don't mean anything. The preseason poll is just insanity that anybody would even look at it. Now we're getting the poll in the pandemic era, yeah. and the poll is littered with teams that are not even going to play this season. Unfiltered. You know, we went through this with George Floyd, and people aren't listening to us, yep. and they're just using us. We're pawns. Yeah. They're just using us for their entertainment. We like watching you play. We're going to make this go away by just watching it. You know what? We're not going to do that anymore. The question now that we don't know is, is this a temporary thing right now? Is this a a boycott and a message sent from the NBA? Or are they truly at wit's end going, until there's change, until somebody steps up and we're not going to be here to entertain you. We're done. Yep. We're done. Mitch is unfiltered. Right, after like a twenty, after like a thirty-five minute tease segment, that's some tease. The tease is supposed to be sixty seconds, right? Exactly. Coming up next, a couple of blowhards who th- can't stop talking. We go thirty-five minutes on the tease, and everybody says it's just too long. The show's too long. No, Mitch. no one says shows that. Do they? Yeah, they too do. Long? Too long. Too, too much long. content. Episode one hundred and six. And by the way. Hotshot and I are twins. Not only we're we both wearing an Issaquah High School T-shirt, same size. 
That's exactly right. You're yes. wearing a, you a wear, medium. You wear 4XL, right? Is yeah. that what you wear? <laughs> You're okay. wearing a medium. I'm wearing a medium. <laughs> right. And it's uh, time for episode 106. Now, I, I want to get into Chadwick Boseman because that really hit me hard. We, we had already dropped the, the P episode. Uh, Chad, I, I know you're not a big Marvel guy. You're not a comic book guy. But Chadwick Boseman, for those that don't know, he was the Black Panther. I mean, I think the, everybody knows. Okay. Don't you think everybody knows? This has been, this has been the, on social media, the, by far and away, yeah. the most talked about thing the last 48 hours. I was sitting at dinner when I saw it, I, and I, I, I was reading, like, because I didn't know his name that well. I was like, okay, he's probably a co-star. He's not Black Panther, which I saw and loved. Right. Like, I never saw it. I know he, the kids loved it. I have a one of my friends has two boys, eleven. What I did see was forty two. Yeah. Where he plays Jackie Robinson. With Harrison Ford. And when this thing, like when you were about to say, and I'm interrupting, but yeah. when you said this thing came out that he had passed away, I was like, Who is he? Who is he? And yeah, then yeah. I saw his picture. I was like, Oh my God. And then I read the story. And this is what you ask me why I'm so freaked out about COVID nineteen and being a hypochondriac. This doesn't and, help. And, yeah. and and why I think I'm going straight to the hospital. And I think every day is gonna be my last. These types of stories, 43 years old, he didn't tell anybody that he was fighting colon cancer for the last, what, four years? Four years, yeah. You don't get screened. You probably, well, how old are you? I am 46. And you've not been screened for colon cancer, or have you? My doctor says 50. 50. 50, we're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, I know. 50, right? Yep. 50. Yeah. And and yet here's a kid who's 43 years old. Everybody who came across his path loved him gracious with his time while he was while he was privately struggling and fighting colon cancer he was going to kids cancer units and in memphis tennessee and and visiting with the i mean this has just and i don't really know much about him except i saw him in 42 and i think i saw him in in a different movie as well I don't know why. This has just really blown my mind. Yes. I am really impacted by this the last 48 hours. I, I can't, st- can't stop thinking about it. I read it Friday, and I thought for sure it was a co-host. They have the headline wrong. It's actually the guy who played Black Panther, who, right. by the way, that movie grossed $1.347 billion. Wow. My friend texted me, and he said Whoa. he has two two boys, 11 and 10. He goes, I, I can't tell him. I can't tell him this. It's he, it, Halloween. They're Black Panther. He, they love this movie. They love this character. You get into that Marvel world. He made his first appearance in a it was a Captain America movie, I want to say. Because, you know, the Avengers, it's a whole group of superheroes. And so he has a little cameo. You get into that Marvel world. I mean, look at uh, Robert Downey with Iron Man. I mean, you just write your check. If you if you want to do it, you just write checks the rest of your life for how much you want. And Black Panther couldn't. Not only was it did it gross a lot, it was, I think it might have been up for an Oscar. It was a good, actually good movie. This kid gets the role of his kid. He, the guy gets the role of his lifetime. Role of his lifetime. You're, you're in the Avengers, man. And you don't get to enjoy it past the year 2020. Right, 2020 can just go to hell. Really, yeah. I couldn't believe it when I saw it. I, I know that he he was not born and raised in New York, but he got to New York eventually. He was teaching acting, and he just kind of wanted to be a writer. He wanted to work in movies, and somebody convinced him to go to L.A. So he moves from New York to L.A. in 2008, and gets a couple roles in 2000 on TV. But then he gets the Jackie uh, 42 was the name of the movie, right? That's right. Right. And then after that, he he said he was praying. He goes, I did the uh, Black Panther audition. I was praying. I wanted that role more than anything. Got it. And he freaking gets it. God, gone at 43. Busting his ass, you know. To probably- Colon cancer at 43 while they tell us <sighs> to get screened at 50. Yeah. I remember being petrified. And I don't know how many of our audience here are around 50. My guess is there's probably a good section of people that listen to this that are around my age. If you haven't done it. 
do it. Yeah. I don't even know. I mean, I guess if a doctor tells you to wait to 50, wait till 50, but I don't see why. I remember being petrified of the whole situation and everybody warning me it's no big deal. The worst part about it is the shit that they make you drink That's what I heard for the too. 24 yeah. hours leading yeah. up to Pretty it. Gross. And I was like, I don't want, I, I, this is going to be terrible. It's going to be, they put you out. You know, they, they, oh, that's good. They put you, oh. put you to sleep and you wake up and it's done and, yeah. and it was quick and easy. And it was the worst stuff was the stuff I was drinking. Oh my God. It was the most disgusting thing I was drinking. Yeah, Chop. He doesn't like avocados, Chop. everybody. So how did this yes. taste to him? I, mean, I don't like avocados Louise. or mushrooms. There were no avocados. <laughs> or mushrooms. In fact, when the doctor, oh, they God. send you that you have to go get this, this stuff is like prescription. Sure. Uh, when I went to go to get the prescription, I asked him. Now, is there any mushrooms or any avocado in <laughs> That's this? That's right. To get the palate of a 12-year-old. I said, no, but I, this is just <laughs> I awful stuff. And I said to awful, my, my, awful stuff. I said to my wife, did, did you know he was sick? Was there anything Nobody out? knew he was sick. I, I, maybe the, his best friends knew he right. was sick. Right. I had no, no idea he was even battling anything. Oh, my God. 43 years old. Roll oh, of a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah, that was a awful. tough one that I saw on Friday night. That's just awful. Brutal. Uh, of the news that I want to jump into in this first segment, we do have the three great guests, and I hope that everybody will give JT Higgins a chance, even you non-golfers. He's going to talk about recruiting Tiger Woods, what it was like to recruit him, yeah. trying to convince him to come to UNLV. Going to talk about what it was like to travel with uh, UNLV's running rebels oh. as like a 23-year-old guy. Dream. Uh, anyway, uh, before we get to the three interviews, we're recording this on a Sunday, which was the day that the Jacksonville Jaguars finally did it. The Jacksonville Jaguars traded their franchised um, pass rusher. Let's call him defensive end pass rusher. Yannick Ngakwe is the way you say his name, I think. Okay. We've been talking about him a little bit for a long time. It was just everybody knew he was going to get traded at some point. We did the story with him and the owner going at it on Twitter. They went at it on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, this, has been, this has been a bad relationship. <laughs> yeah. He's had 38 sacks in four years, so 10 sacks a year, essentially, in Sounds his first good. four years. He is a purebred pass rusher. Yeah. And he wanted a lot of money, and the Jacksonville Jaguars weren't going to do it. They franchised him for the $19 million. This is like a Jadeveon Clowney from last year. And just before opening day, they traded him to the Minnesota Vikings. Mm. And the Vikings paid, let me get this right, they paid a second rounder and a fifth rounder. That can be a fourth rounder or a, third, a conditional fifth rounder. So the way it works, and this is important to what I'm about to talk about, the way it works is it's a fifth rounder. If Ngakwe this year for the Vikings makes the Pro Bowl, okay. it becomes a fourth rounder. Okay. And if the Vikings win the Super Bowl, it becomes a third rounder. Okay. Okay. So it's a second and probably a fourth. Yeah. Because he's made the Pro Bowl the last couple. If he has his 10 sacks, he'll make, the, he'll make the Pro Bowl. And he typically has 10 sacks. So this is very interesting to me as a Seahawks fan. Okay. Because we were talking about him when they couldn't get Shadevian Clowney. We're talking about how they need a pass rush. We're still talking about how they right. need a pass rush. We're still talking about the draft choice from Tennessee that hasn't practiced one practice, and who knows when he's going to play, the, the pass rusher Taylor from Tennessee and so forth. And it brings up a very interesting conversation at the very least, and that is they went out and they paid a ransom for a great, great football player who, and I don't want you to, don't, don't misread me here. I'm not second guessing the Jamal Adams. I, I love Jamal Adams. I love everything I hear about him yeah. out there. I've gotten the word that he's great and he's great in the clubhouse and he's fierce and he's just what they needed and he's the best safety in football at age 24. I'm thrilled they've got him. But this is an interesting conversation because you really got to stop and ask yourself, okay, 
They've had him for about four weeks, give or take? Yeah. Okay. When they made the trade for him, would Jacksonville had taken what they took today or mm. yesterday or whatever from the Seahawks? Let's assume they would have taken four weeks ago what the Vikings paid on the Sunday to get Ngakwe okay. to town. Okay. Second rounder and fifth rounder. It's a very... Very simple but very interesting conversation if you're a Seahawks fan. Well, when you said a second and a fifth, I'm thinking, okay, what's coming next? Nothing. Like that, but that. Well, <laughs> you got to take everything into consideration. You got to pay he, him. You, well, he comes. He's also taking a discount to for the trade to happen. He was supposed to make Jeez. 19 million on the on the franchise tag, but the Vikings don't have 19 million left under the cap, so he was willing to take 13 or 12 oh. just to help the Vikings out. So he's going to make 12 Jeez. or 13. Then he's going to be a free agent. Yeah. I guess the Vikings could franchise him. Maybe they're not allowed to franchise him, but they're going to have to give him a new deal. So you have to consider everything. So okay. I'll, I'll just bundle it up for you. Two choice, two scenarios. The Seahawks needed a pass rusher. Mm-hmm. They also needed some ferocity on the defense that they got in the safety. They traded a 2021 first-rounder, a 2022 first-rounder, a 2021 third-rounder, and Bradley McDougald for Jamal Adams and a fourth-round draft choice. They did get Jamal Adams at $3.5 million this year, which is the deal of a century. Right. Next year, he is signed for 9.8, but no one thinks he's going to play for 9.8. They're going to redo a deal. They'll do a big deal, just like Ngakwe is going to get a new deal either in Minnesota or somewhere else. So they each kind of are a little different, but they're kind of one year away from the big contract, yeah. right? Ngakwe's, if he has 10 sacks this year, his contract will be over $20 million a year. Adams, if he has a great year, will get a little more than Buda Baker got, which will be 16 or 17. So the safety will cost a little bit less. But the question that I ask that I think is worth asking, yeah. if you had two choices, you could have Ngakwe with 10 sacks or so or maybe more for the Seahawks this year, but still have the first rounder, the two first rounders and the third rounder, yeah. and Bradley McDougald starting at, sa- at safety. You could have Bradley McDougald and Quandre Diggs yep. at safeties. You could have this Ngakwe pass rushing defensive end and you could still have your two first round draft choices and your third rounder but you wouldn't have your second rounder you would have traded your second rounder for Ngakwe or you could have the 24 year old all world safety who does a little of everything is great but you don't have the two first rounders you don't have the third rounder you don't have Bradley McDougald that's a conversation which would you prefer that's an interesting conversation in that does seem a little light for him that seems a second rounder and a potential third rounder well, that seems light i don't think it sounds it seems light compared to what you paid for yeah. jamal adams but he is kind of a one-trick pony he rushes the quarterback okay and he does only have one year left before you either have to franchise him or sign him so the question is yeah. what would you what would you rather and what's funny about this conversation is we're coming back to the answer to the question comes back to what we've talked about in the past, which is how confident, what would they get in those two first-round draft choice and that third-round draft choice that they gave up for Jamal Adams? Right. Are we sure that if they did the Ngakwe deal, that they would turn those two first-round draft <laughs> choices sure? into impact start? <laughs> no. They're supposed to be impact sure, starting players. starters, yeah. They're not supposed to be L.J. Collier – I mean, maybe he's going to be good. Right. I don't know what Jordan Brooks is going to be. Malik good, McDowell and Malik, yeah. you know, you just one after the next. Yeah. 
Um, At the time the Seahawks got Jamal Adams, the Dunbar thing was up in the air a bit, right? He it wasn't. We didn't look good for him. I think. Correct. Correct. So I'm wondering if if maybe that we have to we have to go back to when they got Jamal Adams. I think because that they definitely it was a month ago. It was a, six yeah, weeks ago. Okay. Well, they need help. I was at on the, the golf course. They need help at the throwing your clubs. They need all help. The place. Yeah, yeah. They need help at the secondary. They need help at the pass rush. Okay. So they address the secondary. Well, this Dunbar guy looks great, but he may not play. So maybe that helped them. Maybe overpay for Jamal Adams a bit because now we really got to go forward in the secondary. I don't maybe. know. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. What if I told you that those two first-round draft choices were going to be starting impactful players? That the Seahawks could either have Ngakwe and two starting impactful players in the next two years' drafts, or they can have Jamal Adams and they have to forego those two. And by the way, he's likely to take one or both of those first-round picks if he still had them trade down, add more picks, and do what John Schneider does. You know, look. It's really a question of how much I, – I know what Twitter is saying. Twitter is saying we want Jamal Adams. He's a better football player. And I'm not questioning whether Jamal Adams sure. is a better football player than Ngakwe. That's not the question here because it's not an apples and apples comparison. It's Ngakwe plus two first-rounders or Jamal Adams, really. Yeah. You, you could have Bradley McDougal starting at, at safety. So, the, you know – I wonder. <laughs> I wonder. Maybe Schneider knows more about the clowny thing as well. Maybe he thinks he's going to get still get clowny back. Here. Maybe. Maybe. Well, that would change things. Exactly. So it's a, the hypothetical's fun, yeah. but it's a little tough because we don't know. We don't know what John Schneider and Clowney's. By the way, Clowney trending again last week. Every week I go on Twitter. Oh, this is it. The Seahawks got him. He's trending. Nope. I'm nothing. feeling like more and more he's not even going to play. Just going to sit it out. It's a bad year. A weird year with COVID nineteen yeah. and no fans. And I'm getting paid. Uh, uh, 75 cents on the dollar that I think I'm worth. I think I'm worth this. I'm getting paid half of that. Yeah. To play. I'll just get healthy, have a good off, gonna have a good year train. I'll come back strong next year. But what is he going to get next year? Is the price going to go up for a guy who hasn't played That's in a right. year now? I don't, I don't know. There's don't something know. to be said for those in-game reps. It's just hard know. to go run up and down stairs to stay in shape. All right, you and I got other stuff to do. We but do. We do have three good quality interview segments coming up on episode 106. I always say it and I mean it. There's no Mitch Unfiltered without great partners like Premier Wealth Manager Evergreen Golf Call. Here he is, CEO Tyler Hay. How's everyone doing over there, Tyler? What's the latest with EG? Everything's going great, Mitch. We're just dealing with the same same things that everybody's dealing with, the post-COVID world and actually the kind of the talk around uh, Evergreen is is what's going on with schooling and stuff like that. Uh, We found out that our kids are going to be doing remote learning for the foreseeable future. So my wife's not very happy. So (laughs) that generally is not not a good sign. Tell me about the the strategies and the financial situation ramifications long-term as it relates to the COVID virus and what the economy's been doing. Sure. Maybe I'll give you kind of two high-level points that I think will affect people, and not necessarily their portfolios directly, but there certainly are ways to extrapolate what it might mean for that. But I do think that one giant trend that's here to stay as a result of this is sort of the re-suburbanization, if you will, of the world. I think that you're going to see lots of people deciding for a variety of reasons that they no longer want to live in an urban environment. And I think that has real implications for home values and commuting and telecommuting and all those things. So I think that's a pretty interesting trend that I don't think is going away. And then I also think that you're going to see kind of a deglobalization of the world. I mean, one of the interesting points, I don't know how many listeners know, but 
of the essential ingredients for producing pharmaceuticals, something like 80% of it is produced in countries abroad, the United States. And I'm talking about medicines that we are then using here. So I think that you're going to see that shift start to occur and, and come back uh, within our borders. So from an investment standpoint, those are some things. And I think also it's interesting to think about in the sports world, maybe transition the conversation or pivot it to kind of be on brand with something that, you know, your listeners are, might be interested in. You know, I think that one of the maybe silver linings for Seattle sports fans is that COVID-19 fallout could make it more likely for the Sonics to come back to Seattle. I know Glenn Taylor, the owner of the Timberwolves, has promised that he isn't going to sell to someone that's going to move the team. But we've heard that message here in Seattle, and, and we saw how that worked out. So given the state of Minnesota and, and basically local governments everywhere, applying tax revenue to build a stadium seems probably pretty unlikely. And then I think that the other thing that is, is worthwhile and had some sports ramifications and had some investing ramifications is just the emergence of online gambling. We're seeing it on a state by state level. It's being legalized. But in this world, tax revenue is, is a scarcity. Um, and so I think that you're going to see states kind of accelerate their adoption of sports gambling. And, and I think that that'd probably be a pretty exciting thing for our local listeners here. Wouldn't that be an incredible silver lining if because of COVID-19 or indirectly, we end up with an NBA team back here in Seattle. Begin your introduction to Evergreen Golf Call with their website and their free newsletter, evergreengk.com. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. This is a landmark day in the history of American sport. NBA teams refusing to play their scheduled games in protest of racial injustice in this country. Their boycott in Orlando, a direct result of a shooting which took place in Kenosha, Wisconsin, 40 miles from Milwaukee. Quinn Cook will dribble it out, and the Los Angeles Lakers in five. And there's your final score, Milwaukee 118, Orlando 104. They move to the second round officially now, where they face Miami Heat. LA Clippers advance to the second round, led by Kawhi Leonard. More greatness in the postseason. To say that the last week in the NBA bubble was remarkable would not be doing it justice. For a minute, it looked like we might not complete the NBA playoffs as a result of the players' dissatisfaction with racial injustices in this country. Fine ESPN NBA writer and our buddy Kevin Pelton, who's a Seattle boy through and through, has been watching very closely, and he joins us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. But Kevin, you sound like you're, you're next door. <laughs> it's that good it's really good it's really good so from where you sat this week did you ever think that the players union would walk out and that the nba season would be over you know i think particularly after there was a report that the lakers and clippers had voted against continuing to play at the meeting that they had wednesday night after the milwaukee box got the ball rolling on this whole thing by deciding not to play in their game against orlando uh their playoff game you know that's when it seemed like well you know if they're really committed to not playing then I, I don't see how we go forward without, you know, two of the, the favorites to win the championship this year, two of the, the leading contenders. But, you know, the subsequent reporting has made it clear that that was kind of more of a straw pull of where teams sat. And, you know, it, de it definitely seemed like one of the takeaways coming out of that meeting on Wednesday night that went 
after midnight, you know, it had been a very long day. No one had planned for, you know, that conversation to start. Milwaukee surprised everyone with their decision. And the idea was, you know, let's get a good night's sleep, come back and discuss this again tomorrow. And at that point, then, you know, it seemingly rather quickly became clear that the season was going to continue. It was just kind of a question of of when and, you know, how were the owners going to address the concerns of the players? Right. And what did the owners hear from the players in the meeting that convinced the players, okay, the owners are serious. And part B of that is, what do you expect to happen now? Are we going to see some tangible moves by the owners in trying to help this problem? Yeah, I mean, I think the clearest tangible thing that has immediately come out of this is the use of a number of additional arenas as polling stations in this November's election. I mean, it's very hard to, you know, take the voting element apart from everything else in what the players are looking for. I mean, that remains uh, a crucial, you know, a key focus. There's additional messaging about voting on the the boards in the arenas in which these games are being played on the ESPN wide world of sports campus. And then, you know, I think a commitment to, you know, continue to step up their, their funding of, you know, racial justice. And I, you know, I think there's a committee coming out of this that's going to continue to work on that. So, you know, this is definitely not a conversation that is, is concluding. It's just the start of that conversation. Kevin Pelton is with us. He's a terrific ESPN NBA writer. He's stationed here in Seattle, grew up here in Seattle. You can follow him on Twitter. People might not know the name Michelle Roberts. She's the NBA Players Union leader. Patrick Beverly and her apparently got into some sort of a a rift on, on the phone. I'd like to see, as a Clippers fan, Patrick Beverly make headlines on the floor already. All I see is is him on the on the bench cheering his team on. But he made headlines with something that happened with the rep or the leader of the NBA Players Union. What happened? Do you know, Kevin? And explain it to us. Yeah, according to the reporting by my ESPN colleagues and, and other writers who, you know, are well sourced in there, you know, the the conversation was Roberts presenting to the players kind of the financial ramifications of what might happen if they decided not to play that season. And I believe the the rest the remainder of the playoffs, I should say. And I believe the report is, you know, you'd be looking at twenty five to thirty percent additional cut in salary in the two thousand. 2021 season on top of what already is is likely to uh, be a decline because of the fact that there are no fans in the stands at these games and you know who knows what kind of attendance they'll be able to have when the 2020-21 season picks up so you know I think his concern is that maybe this shouldn't be primarily a financial decision but you know it makes sense from her standpoint as you know someone representing the players interests uh, specifically financially to make sure that they're well informed on that you know the the possible impact and so did the players you know how much of the money factor i guess we'll never know but how much did money play into the decision for the players to remain on the floor remain in orlando remain in the bubble and how much of it was okay the owners said what we wanted to hear them say or they listened yeah, I mean, I think it was probably a variety of factors, and it's probably going to differ from every individual player. Surely there were players who, you know, at this point were not in favor of continuing, who wanted to go home. But, you know, I think the other element that a number of players have talked about and people close to them is, you know, to some extent they needed this this 
break to kind of reflect and, and process everything that has happened since the shooting of Jacob Blake and the unusual conditions of being in this setting away from home for this extended period of time without their families, which is something that fortunately is going to change now for the teams that have advanced to the second round. Uh, those teams, their significant others will be allowed or, and uh, you know other guests will be allowed to join the bubble at, this week after quarantining in, uh, in Orlando. So that's going to be helpful. But you know, I think it was just a combination of all of those factors probably went into it. But again, I don't know that everyone was in favor of it. It was it was just the case that that was the majority of people. I personally expected, Kevin, that I'd see individual players, even though they decided to play as a group, that individual players would opt out and say, I'm not playing anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm astonished that it, it seemed to have been an all or nothing situation for the players. Agreed. That is interesting. I mean, we did see that, obviously, with some of the players who decided not to go down to the bubble at all and, and participate in this restart whatsoever. But, uh, you know, I guess after those conversations were had and everybody was able to clear the air that it was a, you know, a feeling of now we're going to all be on the same page. Let's segue to the action on the floor. You and I have visited about this. You and I have texted about this. We wondered what this would look like with no fans on Disney World courts. We wondered about the asterisk that would appear next to the champion's name of 2020. Now that you've seen what you have and you have to look forward to the remainder of the playoffs, what's your assessment? What is the consensus amongst you guys that follow this very closely on how this has looked and how this will feel when we reflect back on it in years to come? Well, it's certainly deeply strange. I mean, that's the first thing about it. You know, despite the uh, great efforts that the NBA has gone to, to, you know, involve fans virtually to make this feel as as much like normal NBA basketball as possible. Ultimately, playing in the setting with very limited people in the arena is, is never going to feel normal or, or feel right. But, uh, you know, as far as the quality of the basketball, e- even Adam Silver has said that he's been surprised by how how strong the quality of the offense has been. You know, I, this is something I wrote about before the restart happened. And you look at the precedent, you know, it's uh, the lockouts in 1998 and 2011 and just the general fact that when the season starts, typically we see teams start slowly offensively and get better on offense over the course of the season, largely because shooting improves. And we haven't seen that almost at all. Like there was a very brief period where, you know, in the scrimmages where the offense might've been down a little bit, but once the game started counting, teams have been executed at a very high level and the shot making has been tremendous, uh, you know, to not least in this Denver Utah series that we just finished watching game six of. Yeah. We're recording this on a Sunday, on a Sunday evening, the Clippers and Lakers are waiting for their second round opponent. So let's start in the Eastern Conference and we'll work our way west. The Celtics easily over the Raptors, which was a surprise to many, me included, how easy they took game number one. Is this a Celtics-Bucks Eastern Conference final or could somebody knock one of those two teams off? I certainly think it's too early to write off the Raptors. I mean, I thought this was going to be the closest of these, whatever the four potential series are going to be in the semifinals. Uh, after, you know, an extended deliberation went with Toronto in seven is my pick. But, you know, if you think it's that close, uh, certainly Boston winning game one makes them the favorites in this series. But one of the things we've seen time and time again, you know, in the playoffs, and even you look back as recently as last year when Boston uh, played Milwaukee in this same round of the playoffs, they dominated game one. You started to hear from people about, oh, Milwaukee, it's not going to work in the playoffs. 
And then they won the next four games and knocked the Celtics out in what was Kyrie Irving's uh, last games as a Celtic. And then also Al Horford, as it turned out. So, you know, game one can throw you off the scent, particularly when you've got big disparities in terms of shot making, as we saw in the three point shooting in that game. But uh, I, I do think Boston now becomes the favorite in that series. Milwaukee, Miami has the potential to be interesting. Uh, Miami won a couple of head to head meetings, including one of the games they played in the seeding games in the restart. Their three point shooting matches up well with Milwaukee's tendency to give up a lot of threes. They've got big, versatile athletes to throw at Giannis defensively. Bam and Abayo, Jay Crowder, Derek Jones, you know, all get their opportunity against him. So, you know, they've got a chance to make that series interesting. Ultimately, I think, you know, the Bucks just have, have too much firepower, too strong an overall advantage to to expect them to lose this series. But I was surprised how many of my ESPN colleagues picked Miami right, to win it. But but you think Bucks over Celtics in the Eastern Conference final? That'd be my pick right yeah. now, yeah. Okay. How about the West? How about my Clippers? The Clippers uh, got a little scare from Dallas. Dallas won a few games. Luka Doncic was was unreal uh, in that series. Even in the the final game, he was fabulous. 38 points, 9 rebounds, and 9 assists. They're going to wait for what? The the Nuggets-Jazz Game 7 winner. The Lakers are sitting there. Struggled a little bit with Portland. Damian Lillard didn't play at the end. Where are you on Lakers-Clippers I'm assuming you think we'll see a Lakers-Clippers Western Conference final. Where are you on the West, Kevin? Yeah, definitely the most likely scenario. I mean, I think the Lakers-Blazers series would be one that would fall into that category of a misleading game one where, you know, Portland was able to execute at such a high level in that game and the Lakers couldn't make anything from the outside. Their offense came around over the course of the series. Portland seemed to wear down after after the grind of basically having to play eight playoff games in the seeding games plus a ninth with the play-in game against Memphis to get to this point and then you know we saw Damian Lillard leave that series to an injury and the Lakers eventually cruised as I think we generally expected going into it uh, except for Charles Barkley I guess uh <laughs> Clippers, I, I think, you know, they faced a really tough test against Dallas. You uh, may be underselling how nervous you were when you texted me about that series. But, you know, the Mavericks were third in the West in terms of point differential in the regular season. They were just a team that really struggled to close games down the stretch. And lo and behold, they won the one really close game in this series because you had that miraculous shot by Luka Doncic uh, to win that one at the buzzer. And that helped them extend the series. But, you know, I think it was a good test for the Clippers and potentially even a harder test than they're going to get in this next round because both Denver and Utah are shorthanded. Uh, Denver did get Gary Harris back in the lineup for game six, which helped them tremendously at the defensive end. Utah is playing without Boyan Bogdanovich, who was their second leading scorer. So they've been able to make up for it in the series with Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell just making every shot they take, basically, uh, combining for more 50-point games in this series than there's ever been in an entire postseason in NBA history, which is is wild. But I think, you know, you go up against the Clippers, the number of defenders that they can throw at those guys, especially if Patrick Beverly is back healthy, I think they were probably just playing, you know, being very cautious with that calf injury he has to make sure he's ready to go when it starts to matter a little bit more. Uh, you know, I think that the, the Clippers are comfortable favorites. Lakers Rockets, if Houston wins that series, could be really interesting. They There's such a unique matchup for the Lakers who have been built around size and and typically playing with two traditional big men with JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard next to it 
Anthony Davis. And Houston plays the opposite of that, obviously, with P.J. Tucker at center and Jeff Green, our, our old Seattle friend, coming yeah, off the bench for them playing. as a backup Jesus. center and finding new life in that oh, role. God. So, yeah. you know, it's it's going to be an interesting matchup. The only time they played after the Rockets went to that extreme small ball, they won the night of the trade deadline in L.A. in the Staples Center. I, I still think the Lakers are favored in that series, right. but Houston's got the potential to make it a, in a really interesting series if James Harden keeps playing Who's, like he has. Who's holding the trophy at the end, Kevin? My pick remains the Clippers. I yes. Mean, I, again, I saw them get tested in this round, but I think that's going to be a positive okay. for them. And ultimately, you know, once Paul George got going, you saw that it, between him and Kawhi Leonard, that's a lot of firepower. All right. One last off the uh, off the floor question. This Philadelphia firing, the Nets need a coach. Greg Popovich somehow, some way has been rumored as a candidate in both places, would Popovich ever leave San Antonio? Would the Philadelphia 76ers and Josh Harris, would he look at Popovich? Would the, would the Nets, who's going who's gonna to get these jobs? I think if, you know, if he were ever to leave, Brooklyn seems a lot more likely as a destination because you've got Sean Marks there who came up in the San Antonio organization, played for Pop as a player before going into the front office. So there's a there's a cultural fit there. Philadelphia would be uh, probably a tougher choice because he would be replacing Brett Brown, who was an assistant of his in San Antonio before getting that head coaching job with the 76ers and, you know, uh, having a good long run there that ended uh, ended with a disappointing sweep in the first round to the to Boston I mean it would stun me if Pop is coaching anywhere but San Antonio I, I, to me retirement would seem like a more likely option to me than than going to another organization at this point but you know it's Pop I mean if if we knew how to predict what he was going to do or say then uh, his interviews would go a lot differently than they do which job would you rather if you were a young head coach I think Brooklyn, because, you know, even though, well, especially if you're pop, I mean, a young head coach is maybe a little different, but an established coach who can deal with those strong personalities of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and and have the trust of those players. You know, I think they've got a little more to work with, a little more flexibility going forward to to build around those two guys than Philadelphia, which seems kind of locked in now to this core that doesn't seem to fit particularly well together. Okay, Kevin Pelton, ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com. You can read him, NBA writer. He's from right here in the Pacific Northwest, and he joins us from time to time. Still waiting for my Taco Time podcast (laughs) uh, appearance. I'm waiting. I go to the mailbox every single day. I hold my breath. Nothing shows up in the mailbox. I know it's coming one of these days. I'm going to appear on that podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, he is Kevin Pelton. Great to visit with you, and thanks for doing Mitch Unfiltered again. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, and uh, you know the issues with the Postal Service right now. So, <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> Thank you for having me. My buddy Kevin Pelton, NBA writer for ESPN. Follow him on Twitter, at KPelton, P-E-L-T-O-N. It's funny, a few years ago, I didn't even care about the NBA, and yet now I do, and I would have been disappointed had they walked out of the Orlando bubble. Back on the horn with Zeke's president, Dan Black, to give us a little update with what's going on with the 17 locations of Zeke's Pizza these days. Very similar to the last time we talked, patios and dining rooms are open and uh, steady. Takeout and delivery continue to be kind of the prime action, but people are eating out a little bit in the dining room and the patios. Can you give us a sense of the appetite 
for all of us to go back and sit in restaurants or at least outside in restaurants? Do you get a sense with the numbers that more and more people are more comfortable to do that? It is mixed. I think people are wary for sure. Socially distance and cleaning practices, all the things that is top of mind with everybody and in the headlines is important. People do not want to be in crowds. At least we're not seeing it at Zeke's. While there's people in, nobody's looking for like a jam-packed bar scene or something. So people are coming in as long as they can keep distance. Any trouble, Dan, with COVID-19, with your staff or with uh, customers? Any issues? We've had some employees who have tested positive. We have really strict procedures in place, uh, quite a bit more than is required by law. So if we have any employee who has been exposed or tested positive, we close the restaurant immediately. We deep clean it immediately, and then we do not let people come back to work until they have tested negative. And so... We verify that people are negative before uh, they can come back into work. So by the time we reopen the location, we know that we have a staff that is confirmed negative. We've had a couple of closures, and we've got it down pretty good. So we were closed for three days is all the last time it happened. And so we've had it happen twice. We see it as just a fact of life at this point. And our view is that if we stay safe and strict on it, then uh, even if we have a store closed here and there, we'll be able to keep the whole system open and functioning for the most part rather than having it spread. Tell us about the delivery arm. How's it going? And people still ordering beer, ordering pizza, ordering salads? And Yep, delivery and takeout is still where most of the action is at. People are picnicking in their backyards at home. They're ordering out when they're we're out and about in the park and stuff like that. So there's still a lot of that. People are out being adventurous in the summer in the Northwest. We're doing a lot of growlers still, but we reintroduced crawlers about a month ago and crawlers are a 32 ounce aluminum can basically so you can get a big uh, aluminum can of draft beer from us that are really easy to take on a hike or throw in a cooler or something uh, and they're recyclable and so it's it's a lot easier to, to haul around than a growler so we're we're selling a lot of beer right now in crawlers so people can be mobile with them do what the levy family does download the zeke's pizza app it's as simple as a couple of clicks and pizza and beer will be at your door we love zeke's pizza we love our partnership with zeke's pizza and it's homegrown in the northwest unfiltered First of all, I'd just like to congratulate the University of Texas on a great play today. That was a fantastic match. And, John, you have an unbelievable team. You guys are outstanding, and uh, it was a pleasure to play with you today. Um, man, what a great golf course. It's, I've always said I think it's the best course in the state of Texas, and it's an honor to win here. Um, to my team, you guys are awesome today. Uh, just love that you guys are nails coming down at the end. And, uh, just really appreciate the effort all week. It's the 106th episode of Mitch Unfiltered, and our next guest is the new head golf coach at USC after nearly 20 years and a national championship at Texas A&M. He's a Hall of Famer. He's got an intriguing past that I think will be interesting to even our non-golf fans. Here's JT Higgins. He's the coach, and he joins us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Congrats on the new gig, and thanks for being with us, JT. Oh, thank you, Mitch. It's great to be here. So... Your road to becoming a Hall of Fame coach is not one that I would think anyone would expect. An Idaho native, but you were a you're a big basketball guy, a baseball player in college. You were not a golfer, right? No, I've never played competitive golf and I have no intention of starting. <laughs> 
So how does it how does it happen? I know that we're going to go through it a little bit. You were actually out of college in the media business, right? Yes. Uh, my first job out of college, um, I got a, a PR director job with the Las Vegas Stars AAA baseball team. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted, I wanted to kind of work my way up to be a general manager of a baseball uh, team. It didn't really matter to the level. I just knew I wanted to be around baseball. And, um, and that's kind of where it started. You know, after that, uh, UNLV called, and I went over into sports information over there. And that led to working with the golf team and then coaching golf. Okay. We'll get there anymore in a minute. We'll, we'll find out how you go from the sports information department to a golf coach when you're a baseball and basketball player. All of it is a little bit confusing. But before we get there, sports information department, UNLV, in the early 90s, handling a world-renowned hoops team that I remember and anybody of age remembers, Coach Jerry Tarkanian, he's a legend, Larry Johnson, Stacey Augman, Greg Anthony, Anderson Hunt, defending national champions. What was that like? It must have been like traveling with the Beatles, JT. It was. It was like being with rock stars 24-7. It was, it was probably the most fun year of my life. You know, just going with those guys everywhere. We were undefeated. They had just won the national championship the year before. Um, and I joined them. I joined UNLV that summer and started working with the team in the fall. And, um, you know, went everywhere with them and went undefeated and lost to lost to Duke in the final four. I am definitely one of the people that hates Christian Leitner. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, you know, it, it was such a great run. And, and, you know, they won, what, 46 straight games. And, um, you know, in my mind, still the best college basketball team I've ever seen. What was it like to be around Tarkanian? I understand that you still have some some not so great memories of our kingdom <laughs> here in Seattle. <laughs> yeah, so coach was great, but um, you know I was an assistant sports formation director. I really wasn't uh, high on his priority list, and so you know I I really didn't think he knew my name to be honest with you. Um, one the way our our department was set up. The head sports formation director, Joe Hawk, he took care of Coach Tarkini and the coaching staff, and then I took care of all the players. So um, if anyone wanted to do an interview with Larry Johnson, then they went through me. And so I just took care of the kids, and I really wasn't around the coaches that much. So I didn't think he even knew who I was. You know, if he if he needed me for something, it was just, hey, you, right? So I was like, <laughs> hey, you, go shag for Larry. Uh, hey, go go feed Stacy in, in the post, you know, those kind of things. And so – you know, I was a practice dummy once in a while, but but otherwise I didn't even know who it was. So we are in the kingdom, uh, I think the Sweet 16, and Coach Tarkanian had, uh, you know, part of the way they paid him is he got paid in tickets. So they couldn't afford to get, keep him there with, uh, you know, UNLV just didn't have the budget that other schools had. So they just gave him 214, 216 tickets to every game. Uh -huh. And he could do whatever he wanted with them. He could sell them. He could uh, give them to friends. So you always tried to avoid him uh, pregame because he didn't actually take him up to the will call window. He had someone do it for him. So we're in the kingdom, and we are literally the only two people on the floor uh, before the game. And he's walking towards me, and I see him. He's got the envelopes with the tickets in them, and I'm like, I'm getting out of here. And so I turned around thinking he doesn't know my name. So even if he yells, hey, you, I'm just going to pretend like I don't hear him and keep walking. And so my back is to him, and the next thing you know, hey, Jimmy. Jimmy. Oh. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, just turn around, I was like, what can I do for you, coach? And he hands me every ticket he's got. And I get to go spend, you know, about an hour up at Will Call sorting out tickets uh, for Coach Tarkanian's friends to pick up uh, for the game. So, you know, what's, what's great about that, though, is, is years later, uh, this is probably 
around you know 2008 or 2009 he and some friends came to college station they, they came for the oklahoma football game and then they also watched the beginning of basketball practice so billy gillespie was our basketball coach and billy and i were, were pretty good friends and they're out having a couple drinks and billy called me and said hey i've got a friend of yours over here you need to come join us and uh so, you know, Tark is probably in his 70s at this time, and so are all his friends, and go over to Miramont Country Club, and, and they're in there, and they're, they're doing shots of tequila. And uh, <laughs> as soon as I walk in, he's like, hey, Jimmy, come over here. I want to I buy you a shot. And so we, we had a couple drinks, and then uh, he's like, hey, there must be a good college bar around here. So we took him to a local college bar. And <laughs> I didn't think anyone would know who he was. You know, he's retired. He's not coaching anymore. And we walk in the bar, and it was like, Elvis had entered the building. Oh. Um, every college kid wanted his autograph. The girls were rubbing his head, you know, giving <laughs> kisses on the cheek for luck, you know, whatever. It was it, he had the time of his life. It was a, it was a great time. Well, so recognizable, so legendary. The Tarks, Jerry Tarkanian. How about the towel? The munching on the towel. Was it the same <laughs> towel every every game, or did he go through a number of different towels? How'd that work? Our equipment manager was in charge of the towels, and and there was about three of them per game. And, you know, he always made sure they were clean and then he get a new one at halftime. And, you know, Tark, Tark's notoriously superstitious. So I, I don't know for sure if it was the same towel, but I would, I doubt he changed them. Um, another great story um, was that he stayed in the same hotel. If he won, if he won there the year before when you went back, then you stayed in the same hotel. So 1990, uh, yeah, so the 1991 season, yeah, so in the, in the the Bills and the Giants are playing the Super Bowl, and we're in we're playing Utah State. So we we played Saturday somewhere, and we fly into Logan, Utah, on Sunday, and it's Super Bowl Sunday. So Tark doesn't care about anything but basketball. He could care less about the Super Bowl, but he knows the players want to watch it. So he gives them the day off and says we're going to watch the Super Bowl, and and so we pull up and we're pulling in front of the dorms at Utah State. I'm like, what are we doing here? And they're like, this is where we're staying. Like we're staying in the dorms, and he goes. <laughs> Tark's been coming here since 1969. He's never lost. And so, and so there was there was no hotels in Logan in 1969. The visiting team stayed in the dorms, and you know the number one basketball team in the world stayed in the dorms in Logan, Utah. Well, this major snowstorm hits, uh, wipes out, knocks out TVs. Um, you know, Logan is. Uh, a huge Mormon population. So everything's closed on Sunday anyway. So there's nowhere to go watch the game. Tark looks out his window of the dorms and looks across the street at the arena and there's lights on and he's, they've got backup generators. And so he's like, well, since we can't watch the game, let's go practice. And I think we had the longest practice ever, like a five hour practice in the gym on Super Bowl Sunday and missed the Bills and Giants Super Bowl um, while while it was snowing in Logan, Utah. Oh, gosh. (laughs) JT Higgins is our guest. He's the new head golf coach at USC, but started his career in the media business and uh, sports information department at UNLV. Wasn't there, before we get off of the UNLV thing, refresh my memory, wasn't there a Greg Anthony T-shirt, like, eligibility (laughs) issue? Wasn't there, were you there for that? So, so that happened the national championship year. He started a t-shirt company and he would sell, you know, as long as they kept moving through the tournament, he would sell, you know, sweet 16 shirts and final four shirts. And, and the NCAA ruled that he couldn't do that, um, that he couldn't make money past the scholarship. So what he ended up doing was giving up his scholarship and keeping the business because he knew they were going to be good again next year. And they tried to stop him from doing it again his senior year, but, but he, he won, he, he took it to court, you know, it was in Vegas. So no one was going to rule against him, but he, but he got to keep his business 
uh, going his senior year and just didn't get a scholarship. Um, he, he made enough money to pay his own way to school. Uh, so he continued to play and, and had the business on the side. All right, how does a guy who's a big, tall athlete that played baseball and basketball go from – go from a sports information department assistant with the UNLV basketball team to a, an assistant golf coach on a UNLV squad. And we'll talk about the guy that you recruited soon thereafter. How does that happen? When I, when I took the job at UNLV, um, they told me you're going to be the number one assistant for football and basketball, which was great. Both those were, were fun for me. And I had to pick a spring sport. Well, obviously I wanted baseball. They, they, that's the only thing they drew the line on. They said, you can't do baseball. We've got a guy that's been here 15 years, uh, Jim Gemma, wonderful, you know, in sports information world, everyone knows Jimmy. And uh, so he, so I said, well, what are my choices then? And they said, well, you can have track, softball, or golf. And I, I hate running. And so I was like, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm not doing track. And, and I really didn't want to do a women's sport, to be honest with you. So I just said, I'll, I'll just take the golf team. And uh, so I did it. And so we, we came off of basketball and then right into the spring of the golf. Well, I treated – I only knew one way to do the job, and that's the way that Tark and the guys wanted me to do it for them. So I treated the golf team like they were a big-time program. And, and they, they were on the rise. They were getting pretty good. And, you know, the coach liked that. You know, he liked that uh, I worked hard for him and, and, you know, got him as much publicity as you can get a golf team. And uh, we just hit it off really well. So at the end of the year – uh, the assistant coach was a guy, Bruce Hepler. He's now the head coach at Georgia Tech. He left to be an assistant coach at Oklahoma State. And um, Coach Knight, Dwayne Knight, called me up and said, um, hey, can you come over? And I thought we were going to do a press release on Bruce leaving. Right. And so I had I had my notepad out and ready to get some quotes from him to write this article. And and uh, he said, he goes, what are you doing? And I go, well, I thought, you know, we're going to talk about Bruce. He goes, no, no, no. I want to. I want to know if you ever thought about getting into coaching. And I said golf. And he he said yeah. And and I said no. I've never once thought about being a golf coach. And so he said, well, why not? And I said, coach, I don't know anything about golf. What I know, I've learned in the last six months from you. And he said, don't worry about that. I'll teach you everything you need to know about golf. I just want you to come be my assistant coach. And I told him no again. I actually told him no a third time. And then he he looks right at me. He goes, how much money do you make? And I told him, and he said, I'll give you a $5,000 raise in a car. And, you know, I was 24, 25 years old and married and had a couple kids. And, I mean, it was just a lot of money and a free car. I, I was like, wow. how do I pass this up? So I said, that's okay. I'll give it a try. And um, uh, I really thought I'd do it for a year or two and get back into administration. And um, we, we started – being really successful we signed some great players and um we're in on some other great players and and the team next thing i know we're one of the top three or four teams in the country and you know kind of went from there okay let's talk about a legendary player that you almost signed that you were in on in 1991 coach there was a 15 year old southern california kid who won the u.s junior amateur championships i think he was the youngest at the time to do it when did you and your staff and your coaching staff and the head coach when did you become aware of young tiger woods and talk about the process i don't know that anybody has been behind the curtain of college golf recruiting how does it work is it <laughs> is it like football and basketball recruiting talk about learning uh, about this young man in southern california and what the next steps were it's not very similar to football and basketball recruiting. So UNLV had a, 
everyone knew Tiger before um, before I started coaching golf. You know, I think I think that most coaches knew who he was probably when he was you know twelve or thirteen years old, maybe even earlier. But um, I know that when I took the job, that he was circled for down the road recruiting. Um, that we were going to go, we were definitely going to go after him. We didn't know if we'd have a shot then because we still weren't we weren't blue bloods by any means. But the difference between golf recruiting and basketball and football recruiting is those sports are centered around the high school and the high school coaches. Uh, maybe you know basketball's AAU, you know baseball's club team, that kind of stuff. In golf, they, there's junior tours, so every state has a junior tour. Sometimes areas like Southern California has the Southern California Junior PGA, the Toyota Cup, and then there's also national tours. The American Junior Golf Association, the USGA, they have events that they plan. So you go to those events. So you don't really have to deal with too many people other than the recruit and his family. Occasionally, there might be um, you know a swing coach that that you talk to sometimes, and sometimes the high school coach is involved. But but those are really there's a few programs in the country that have coaches that are that involved with it so it's a little bit different in that you're really just kind of dealing with the family and so i started watching tiger though about that time i think i think when i went to work for the golf team uh, he was 15 he just won his first u.s junior and or he wanted that summer and, and i watched I, I watched him play in palm springs i remember the first time i ever saw him and uh and he won the tournament and he beat a couple guys that were a little older than him that were committed to come to UNLV already. So, you know, we're, I was like, wow, this guy's, you know, I didn't know much about golf other than this guy's really good. Cause I know the two guys we have coming are really good. And so that, that's kind of where, where my involvement with Tiger came from, but you know, he, he was on the radar really early. Okay. And then what happens? How does UNLV end up in the mix and how close did you get? And talk about the visit, the Tiger Woods visit to the campus. <laughs> so his, his, uh, you know, July 1st was the first day you could call. Um, and, and we did. And, and, uh, Earl, uh, Tiger actually had mono and, and I called and talked to, talked to Earl and his father. And he said, uh, he goes, well, I have good news for you. Um, we've narrowed it down to 12 schools and you're one of the 12. <laughs> and, and so I was like, well, that's, I guess that's better than being out of it. And then the funny part is literally within a week, he called back and said, Hey, we've cut five schools out. We know we're not going back East. So we got rid of all the East Coast schools. That's not going to happen. All right, down to and seven. then we're seven. Yeah, down to seven. Down to and seven. then little by little, it goes it goes down until until it was down to three. Um, it was Arizona State, Stanford, and UNLV. And Arizona State never even got a visit. Um, he ended up canceling that. So it really just came down to two schools. And it was you know it was fun. We we actually got a letter from the NCAA saying to document everything we were doing. That um, we were um, our athletic director was told. If Tiger ends up picking UNLV over Stanford, uh, you'll be the first golf program investigated by the NCAA. <laughs> and so, you know, we had all the stuff going on with basketball, so they figured there's no way they're getting this guy without cheating. So yeah. it, was, it, was, it was really interesting. So, you know, we send out flyers to all of our donors saying, hey, we couldn't name them, right? It's kind of a weird deal, but you're like – we're, we're recruiting a high-profile player. Please don't get involved in the recruiting process. You know, we just try to do everything above board that we, you know, keep keep the, the Sharks at bay at the NCAA because they, they were gunning for us. But so, we, you know, it was it was a great, you know, got to know him. And he's a good guy. And he was, a, you know, he's a kid. He was, you know, he was like any other teenager. He liked to, you know, have fun. I mean, his fun was around golf, but he competed in everything, ping pong and video games and the whole works. And so, you know, we brought him in for a visit. And the president of our university at the time was Bob Maxson, and he had a, a luncheon at his house uh, for Tiger. And, he, and Tiger wanted to major in accounting. 
And Stanford doesn't have undergraduate business. And so um, we thought, well, if this is really what he wants to major in, then this is somewhere we've got something they don't have. And so the so he had the dean of the business school, uh, the chair of the accounting department, and every accounting professor at this luncheon. And Tiger and Earl and mom, or just Tiger and no, Earl? So, so his parent, his parents didn't come on the visit. It was just okay. Tiger okay. and and the coaches, and and his, and he had a host. Chris Riley was his host for the visit, so Chris was there. And, and Bob stood up and just said, "You know, Tiger, the reason that I think." Uh, you go to college is, is to prepare you for what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And if I thought you were going to be an accountant and file uh, somebody's taxes, um, I would probably encourage you to go to Stanford. It's an amazing degree. He said, but I don't think you're going to do that. I think you're going to be one of the best golfers that's ever lived and you're going to play golf for a living. And I think this is the best place to prepare you for that. And so what I, what all these people are here for is to hear it from the top that we are going to do everything we can to help you get uh, to get your degree in accounting so that you have that in case you ever need it. Um, but at the same time, we're going to work around your golf, and you're, you're a golfer first and a student second, and we're here, here to help you in any way we can. And I want everyone to know that, that's, that they need to help you. And you could tell he was moved by that. You know, I think it made a huge impact on him. And then when we threw him and showed him all the facilities that we got to play in Vegas, you know, you're out at Shadow Creek and Las Vegas Country Club and Desert Inn and on and on, you know, TPC. It was, you know, it was an impressive visit. And he, and I, I think when he left that he was really torn on, on where to go. And so mom said, I want you to go to Stanford. <laughs> That, that's that's what I've always been told. Um, you know, I, I don't know that he would ever put that on her, but, you know, I think that his mom was, you know, I think Earl was fine with her wherever he wanted to go, either way. And I think his mom, though, said, you know, we've been planning on you going to Stanford your whole life, and um, there's no reason to change that now. So Whatever happened yeah. to him? Did he, did, he make it, did he make it in the business? Uh, did anybody ever oh, no. hear from him again? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Bob Maxson was right. I don't think he's filed anybody's tax. <laughs> uh, I don't think he's filed his own tax returns either. Those are <laughs> no, exactly. Those are those are pretty uh, complicated tax returns, I would imagine. Well, that's a great story. <laughs> and you went on to a life of golf. You went over to Texas A and M. I'm disappointed to hear that you were at Texas A&M when Jordan Spieth decided to play at the University of Texas. That's a... Uh... So was I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and now you're back at... Uh, you, you have some... I know you're from Idaho, but you have some Southern California roots. So this was a this was a great opportunity for you and your family, right? Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I was born in Los Angeles, um, lived here until I was about 13, and my mom remarried, and we moved to Idaho. Um, which is a great thing for me. Um, you know, I, I saw some of my best friends in the world from Meridian, and um, you know, and, and it was a good change of pace to get out of the city and, and a little bit smaller town. And, but you know, at the end of the day, I've always loved Southern California, and uh, this is where I always wanted to end up. And, and and to be truthful, I think it's the only job in the country that I would have left AM for. Um, and it's just amazing that it opened up at this time, and it was a good time for me to make the move. So, yeah, it's it's awesome. I'm really excited. I think both places, you know, for me being competitive, it's a it's a chance to win a national championship. I could have stayed at A&M and had that opportunity. I think I have the same opportunity at USC, and you know, I'm, I'm anxious to get to work with these guys. Good for you, Coach Higgins. JT Higgins from uh, from Los Angeles to Idaho 
to uh, basketball and baseball in Oregon, off to the uh, the SID's office after a couple of stops in minor league baseball, then a golf coach recruiting Tiger, hanging out with Jerry Tarkani. You've lived a pretty good – you need to start writing a book. When When is the book know, coming I, out? <laughs> I really wish I would have taken notes the whole time because I do, I do have a lot of great stories and, and interesting things that have happened along the way. I've, I've been really blessed and – I uh, have great friends all over the country and, and been able to do a lot of great things. And, you know, I'm a huge football fan. I've been, I've been on the field for most of, of the SEC stadiums, you know, so that's, that's been a blast. I was there when, you know, with Johnny Manziel, when they beat Alabama, I was on the field for that game and, you know, got to celebrate with the team. I, sure. There's just been some amazing things for that you'd never think a golf coach would get to experience <laughs> that I had a chance to do. So, Well, good for fun. you. Good for you and good for your family. J.T. Higgins, the new head golf coach at USC. We'll, we'll pull for Washington up here in the Seattle area. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep we'll keep an eye on you, Coach. Thanks very much for sharing your stories with us on Mitch Unfiltered. Thanks, Mitch. I appreciate it. There he is, a fun visit with J.T. Higgins, the story he's got to tell between Jerry Tarkanian's running Rebels and recruiting a kid named Tiger Woods. Fun stuff with the new USC head golf coach. Time to visit with our old friend Lindsey Schwartz, the CEO of Daniel's Broiler World Class Steakhouses. Lindsey, what's up with Daniel's Broiler these days? Well, we're, uh, we're out there fighting the good fight. We've got three restaurants open, as we've discussed before. We're taking advantage of this beautiful weather that we're seeing in the Seattle area right now. We've added as many outside seats as we could at all the restaurants. If you come to Daniel's Lesha, you'll see we've added a completely new patio on the front side. And at Daniel's Lake Union, we have a new patio on the lower floor. So uh, lots of great options to sit outside. Lindsay, people wouldn't ordinarily think of Daniel's Broiler for takeout and delivery, and we should discuss that a little bit more. The other night, we were at our little yacht club area of our neighborhood, and they were carrying their Daniel's Broiler packages from the Leshy location. This is something you're doing more and more of. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, we're not a pizza delivery restaurant, but there, there's a couple, I think, really great ways to enjoy us. Obviously, what we're known for is a celebration kind of a place. And, and now with, uh, if people are more comfortable celebrating at home, then everything on our menu is available for takeout or delivery. We've got great packaging to preserve the quality. So there's still lots of reasons for, for celebrations, birthdays, anniversaries, and uh, that's a great way to do it. And then we also have some great, what would have been more on our bar menus in the past, burgers and fish sandwiches and fries and clam chowder. And so, you know, just for casual, there's lots of great to-go and delivery options. There he is, Lindsay Schwartz, Daniel's Broiler for 40 years, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. Wow! 
if you've been listening to Mitch Unfiltered for a while now, and maybe you fancy yourself a fantasy football league player, you are aware of our next guest. Joined us weekly last year to help us win our our league, one of the best around at fantasy football analysis. He also knows a really good crab cake, a Maryland crab cake when he sees it. Ladies and gentlemen, my buddy, Kenny Z, Ken Zalis of PressBoxOnline.com. Where have you been all my life, Kenny Z? I I mean, I must have done a decent enough job. You're calling me again for season two. So, you know, I'm (laughs) eager to get started. His draft season is is upon us, as they say. Yeah, they they do say that. I guess it's here, and I guess we're going to play. So we'll just operate under the assumption that we are going to play. We're like two weeks away from getting this season started if, if we get there, not sure how to approach kind of the preview, the fantasy football league preview, because you and I could be on this call for hours if we're not organized. Uh, does every question have three different answers, whether it's a PPR league or a half PPR league or a no PPR league? Does it change the way you look at things? You forgot the two quarterback leagues that are now popular. <laughs> uh, it changes things all the time, but... There are some general rules and uh, things that we tips that we can give out that'll work in any type of draft for your listeners. So I think we can give it a go. Okay, I'm always the guy who waits until like the tenth round. I'm always the last guy in my league to draft a quarterback because I feel like I want to I want to stockpile running backs and wide receivers. Let everybody else take quarterbacks. I'll take, if I'm in a 10-man league, I'll take the 10th best quarterback out there. I'm not going to lose much against the other guys, but I'm going to gain much more with running backs and wide receivers. Is that is that the right way to look at these things or the wrong way to look at it? That is the exact right way to look at these things. Uh, if you play in a 10-team league, at worst, you're going to get the 10th quarterback uh, in the league if you're the last one to take one. The only caveat I kind of give people is Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson are in a category of their own. Uh, Lamar set all kinds of records last year. We're not expecting the same, but we're actually expecting a little bit better from Patrick Mahomes from what we got last year. If either of those players are lurking around in the third round, and I don't care if it's the beginning of the third round, middle, end of the third round, anywhere in the third round, I'm willing to take a shot at either one of those two quarterbacks and get get it out of the way. They have that much value. They outscored other quarterbacks by at least 50 points last year. That's worth the value that you get in the third round. Outside of that, I want to be the last one to take a quarterback in my draft all the time, and I can almost guarantee that you're going to get someone like a Tom Brady or you're going to get Matthew Stafford or maybe even a Daniel Jones if you like the potential upside there. Don't worry about the quarterback. Wait as long as you can outside of the third round if you have a shot at Mahomes or Lamar Jackson. Does Aaron Rodgers fall out of the top nine? Can I get Aaron Rodgers with the 10th? Quarterback taken or no shot at that? You can get Aaron Rodgers as the 15th quarterback. Really? Uh, taken in a lot of. How about Russell Wilson? How about Russell Wilson? Can I get Russell Wilson? Russell Wilson, you're gonna you're gonna need to invest somewhere around a fifth or sixth round pick for him uh, to get Russell Wilson. Okay. You know the yeah. the Kyler Murray's, the Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott. That's the next 
tier of quarterbacks that are going anywhere from the fifth uh, to the seventh round. Then you kind of have the Josh Allen, Matt Ryan, you know, seventh, eighth round, and then you have your your Brady, Wentz, Stafford, Breeze, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Daniel Jones that, you know, you're looking 10th, 11th, 12th, Okay. Maybe even later on some of those okay. guys. I okay. I did a draft earlier this year, and it was a little bit earlier, and it was one of these uh, industry drafts, as we say, with a lot of guys that do the same thing I do. Uh, Aaron Rodgers lasted to the 15th round in that draft, and he was drafted after uh, the rookie Joe Burrow. Got so it. Got it. Uh, people are all over the board with Aaron Rodgers. If my commissioner came to me this year, which he won't, and he said to me, Mitch – 10-team league, you pick your spot where you draft in the even and odds rounds. Do I want, based on what you know about the dominant top of the first-round players and where that that line, there's always that line, right? We always talk about, okay, the drop-off starts here. And we want to go as low, at least I do, want to go as low before I hit that line. I want to get one of those players, but I want to go as low so I don't have to wait in the second round. Where do I want to pick this year, Kenny Z? You want to either be first or last. As they say, if you're not first, you're last. So I either want to have the first overall pick and grab Christian McCaffrey, or I want to be the last pick of the first round and have the back-to-back picks at the end of the first round, which in most times I can go running back, running back, and get two of the top 15 or so, maybe even two of the top 12 running backs on the board, and that sets me up very nicely. I think the you know, you could – you can go the 10th, 11th, 12th picks in a 12 team lead, 8, 9, 10 in a 10 team lead. What we don't want to, what we want to try to avoid is 5 through 9 in most drafts. That, that is all, you know, it, it, a lot of things happen. It's not the surefire pick of who's the fifth guy to get taken in a draft. I think if you're later in the round, all that works out for you, and it's really not a lot of guesswork. Um, you've probably narrowed it down to a couple of players at that point. It makes it makes your draft a lot easier on you. Is McCaffrey the one overall, no matter what the framework of your league is? If it's a non pp catches a lot of balls, does it matter if it's PPR, half PPR, or no PPR? No, it doesn't matter. The only way that he is not the number one pick in a draft, and he may still be in this format, is if you play in a two-quarterback league where you have to start two quarterbacks. I think in those scenarios, you can make an argument for Mahomes. You can make an argument for Lamar Jackson. uh, But McCaffrey is the third guy on that list. So he's just – he was so far and above everybody else. And you look at the top guys that if we're talking about a normal league – that could be in the top pick. We could talk Saquon Barkley. Okay, yeah, we love the talent. I I don't know that the offense, how good the offense is going to be. Does Daniel Jones take another step forward? We think he will. We think everything will be improved. But he's also got an an injury history where he hasn't played 16 games. you got Zeke Elliott, same thing. Can he play 16 games? Alvin Kamara, uh, do the touchdowns come back? I mean, in a PPR, Alvin Kamara is great. He's going to catch 80 balls for sure because he's done that every year for the last four years. But he's get, he got a little bit banged up. So 
I think Christian McCaffrey, not only was he the highest scorer last year, he was the highest scoring running back by a lot. He was also the healthiest that you can get at the top of your draft. Yeah. Not only is he the safe option, but he's the best option. I think my, my son said to me after his draft the other day that the top, I think, five guys were all running backs. Is that right? Yeah. Five or six, I maybe. Did a, I, did a dra- I did a draft last week. The top ten guys were all running backs. Really? But, you know, if you hit the fifth pick, I, I think in most, you know, when we're talking regular leagues, non, non, not a two-quarterback league, it's McCaffrey, Barkley, Elliott, Kamara, in some order, are your first four picks. Okay. Then you start talking about Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook was terrific last year, but he does have an injury history. There was the talk of a holdout, even though you know he's kind of in camp right now, whatever we know about camps right now. Derrick Henry was fantastic, uh, you know, especially the tail end of last year and through the playoffs, and they seem committed to making him the focal point of that offense now. Um so I, I, you know, he could be the fifth guy, but you know, the, those those top four for sure. The the, the first wide receiver kind of comes into play, Michael Thomas with the fifth yeah. pick. But yeah. you know, running backs get thin very fast. And if my, you pass on that running back early, you get stuck. You're finding it a yeah. tough sledding, yeah. uh, to grab that three down guy. Yeah. Am I really going to consider a rookie running back from the Chiefs in the first round? Is that true? Am I really going to do that? Um, you're going to if you're near the, near the tail end of the first round. Okay. I I worry about this. I, I get the hype. I understand it. Uh, you know, he's going to probably be the starter. But I can't see a situation where he's a 300-touch guy like, you know, Derrick Henry or Dalvin Cook or Joe Mixon or even Josh Jacobs is going to be. I, I, I right now – have uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire about somewhere around the eighth or the ninth running back on my list. Now, I've seen him go as early as three overall, uh, which, hey, you know, you're taking a risk, uh, especially being the rookie, because we don't know what camps are looking like. Rookies take time to adjust, as you know, to this league. How good is he in pass pro? We don't know. We just don't know. So I think, you know, rookies, I know we all love them, and there's a lot of good ones that are going, that are available this year that came out of the 2019 draft. You just got to kind of wait and see. I, I think the safer way to go is establish veterans in this league this year because rookies are going to take some time. And, you know, do you really have four weeks to have the the true learning curve like they would normally get with preseason games. I don't know the answer to that for you. For me, I'm avoiding rookies in my first round for sure. Okay, well, that being said, we always are intrigued late in our drafts when we start seeing the, you know, the washed-up has-beens to take a guy who's a rookie, you know, throw him on your roster, let him sit there for several weeks, and if he hits, you've got something. Who are those guys? Those guys, I'm going to give you two running backs for sure. Darrington Evans and Joshua Kelly. Darrington Evans is the direct handcuff to Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry has a rough style. I know he's been healthy, but he's also not a great pass catcher. They use Deion Lewis in that role. Deion Lewis is no longer there. Darrington Evans is a terrific 
receiving running back. He's going to have some standalone value near the middle of the year, and, you know, if, God forbid, Derrick Henry goes down, he's a league winner. Joshua Kelly, the kid out of UCLA, I think he becomes the absolute uh, handcuff to uh, Austin Eckler. We don't know if Austin Eckler can handle a full load. I mean, we saw him in spurts. We saw him have standalone uh, value even with Melvin Gordon. So I think he's still in a top 12, top 13 running back. But Joshua Kelly is going to take over that Justin Jackson role. Uh-huh. And I think he's a guy we can, we can, we can attack you know, somewhere around the, the 10th round after we have our starters. You look to the, the wide receivers, guys like Michael Pittman, who went to a terrific spot in Indianapolis where he's going to be the starter right away. Uh, Jalen Rager in, in Philadelphia. We always know how much trouble they have with injuries in Philadelphia. Jeffrey may start the year on the pup. Uh, Jackson, Deshaun Jackson may, you know, looks like he's healthy now, but we know how that goes uh, every year. So those are some targets you can get later that can really pay some dividends. When you talk about some teams, let's talk about a few offenses that, that figure to be high-flying. I think you got to start with the Buccaneers now that Tom Brady's there. There, but you know they got all these wide receivers, and they've got tight ends and so forth. But we're forgetting that even as radically inconsistent as Jameis Winston is, he threw for a bunch of touchdowns. He threw for a bunch of yards. Is Tom Brady? Tom Brady may be maybe more efficient and lead them further as a football team. But are they going to put up any bigger numbers this year with Tom Brady than they did last year with Winston, Kenny Z? One thousand percent. No, they will not, because this offense is going to be more efficient, and they're not. Their defense is also improved. They're not going to throw. Tom Brady is not going to throw 55 times a game and throw five touchdowns in a game and have three interceptions. It's just not going to happen. So I think that is going to be an explosive offense. It has to be because of who they have uh, at their skill positions. But let's not pretend that Tom Brady is going to throw two pick sixes in every first half of every game, so he's got to throw 55 times. That's That's going to be the difference. I think they're still going to be really, really good. I just don't think that they're going to be as nearly as explosive as last year. On the same division, I mean, you look at New Orleans, New Orleans is going to be as explosive as they always are and as as they'll continue to be because they're essentially the same. You have Drew Brees, you have Alvin Kamara, you have Michael Thomas, and guess what? They added the best wide receiver, too, they've had in a long, long time in in Sanders, Emmanuel Sanders, a really good compliment uh, to Michael Thomas. They're going to be really explosive. Kansas City's going to be explosive. How about Arizona, Kenny Z? I mean, you and I spent every week together for the patrons last year, and hopefully we'll do that again. And you and I both liked Kyler Murray's rookie season. Well, now he comes back with a full year of Kenyon Drake. You know what I think of Drake. I thought he was uh, vastly underrated. And I love that deal for the Cardinals. He comes back in his second year, Murray. He gets a full year of Drake, who's a good pass receiver. And then you get Hopkins from Houston. The, the Cardinals, I hate to say it because we're all fans out here in the NFC West of the Seahawks, but that Cardinals offense should be as explosive as just about any of them. No? I know. They're going to be really, really good, and I expect 
uh, Christian Kirk to take a, another step forward. I'm going to give you, I got two, you know, we only, everybody loves sleepers. So there are two sleepers with the Cardinals that you can pretty much get really, I'm going to say 12th round or later, and one you can get for free. Take them with your last pick. One is the tight end position. Tight end is a is a is a mess this year. You have three or four guys at the top with Kelsey and Kittle and Andrews and Ertz, and then you have a bunch of guys. We don't know who who's going to be the fifth guy. We don't know. So if you decide in your draft to punt tight end, pick up Dan Arnold. He had a really nice last couple of weeks of the season uh, last year. And he's going to be their starting tight end this year. He's a terrific. We had him here in Baltimore for a little bit, and he was always injured. But he's been healthy the last two years, bounced around a little bit, New Orleans, Chicago, really good pass receiver, more of a move tight end that really fits their offense. And I know you love the Drake. I know. We've been through this all last year. Yeah. Chase Edmonds is a league winner. Okay. This year. Okay. Drake became a thing when last year for Arizona after Chase Edmonds got hurt. That's right. Chase Edmonds was really, really good last year. He's not going away. I am not as high. I really like Drake. He's in my top 15. I think he gets opportunities. I'm a little bummed out that we're two weeks away from the start of the NFL season, and he's in a walking boot right now. But Chase Edmonds is a guy that they really like, and you can get him after the 10th round, especially if you draft Drake. Make sure you get Chase Evans okay. this okay. year. That's it, Kenny Z. Who's going to be the first Seahawk taken in all these drafts? Tyler Lockett because of Chris Carson's absence. He has not practiced a lot. He's not played. Or is it still going to be Carson over Lockett in most leagues? In most leagues, it'll be Carson over Lockett, but it's close. We're only talking, you know, last year it was probably – you know, three rounds difference. This year it may only be a one-round difference. Okay. Love D.K. Metcalf this year from the Seahawks. I, I I actually like his value based on where you can get him in drafts a little bit higher than Lockett, even though I really like Lockett as a, as a number one receiver on your fantasy team. Well, I love Kenny Z. Kenny Zalas was so great to us last year. He, uh, he did a weekly show with us for the patrons as we looked ahead to each week in fantasy football. And I hope you'll consider uh, being with us again. I had a lot of fun with you last year. I love chatting in the fantasy football league with you. And it's great to have you back on Mitch Unfiltered. Nice to talk to you again. Same to you. And you can put me down right now for <laughs> 17 weeks. Thank you, Kenny Z. Take care. I love myself some Kenny Z, and trust me, he's really good when it comes to fantasy football advice. He did a weekly patron show with us last year. We graded every piece of advice that he gave out over 17 weeks. Let me just assure you, he helped a lot of our audience win fantasy football games. Great to visit again with Jordan Flowers, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage, and I have to say... I've been trying to get Jordan out on the golf course for the last several days, weeks, but every time I ask, he tells me, I go to work at 5, I come back at like 11 o'clock, I have no time because I'm so super busy doing refinances. Here he is, so the only way I get a chance to talk to him is right here on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Jordan? 
Yeah. Hey, Mitch, it's good to talk to you, buddy. Tell me what it is that you're doing from 5 a.m. to 11 p.m. that you can't get on the golf course with your buddy Mitch Levy. <laughs> well, uh, as everybody's reading in the news, incredibly low interest rates right now. Rates are at all-time lows. Refinances are through the roof. Volumes are spiking to record levels. And, I mean, we've got purchases and people buying homes left and right right now. Tell me more about the numbers. I know it somewhat depends on the applicant and credit rating and everything else, but give us a broad sense of why things are so crazy, busy, and at least good in your world, and why people are racing to refinance and to buy. Yeah, I mean, with your with your purchases, you're finding rates anywhere between two and a half to three percent on thirty-year fixed mortgages, and on refinances, you're pretty much in the same realm, depending on your loan value, credit scores, equity position. So, you're looking at rates. Mid twos to high twos right now. Wow. So everybody's saving hundreds of dollars a month. Okay, so they call you at what number? And how long does that conversation need to be before they get off the phone and they have something to consider of whether they want to go through this process? So the office line, my direct line is 425-250-3145. And my cell phone is 425-890-2957. It's a call that's no more than about five to seven minutes to get an overall understanding of um, where you're at currently in your mortgage, what the rates are, what your rate currently is, and what uh, your monthly payment is. And we'd run a couple numbers and you're on your way. It's five to seven minutes to get the basic information going and decide if it's worth your time to move forward. There he is, Jordan Flowers, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Unfiltered. Episode 106, remember, a free September to all of you non-patrons that just want to experience what it's like to be a patron. Sign up. Actually, just send me an email, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com, and say, Mitch, I'd like to be, I'd like to take you up on your offer. I'm going to pay September for non-patrons just so they can not only experience what it's like and what kind of content's available, you'll also have access to the last two years worth of library stuff. That's right. That we've done for patrons. All you got to do is write me, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com, and I will buy you your first month. And then I will also send you a link on how you cancel so you don't think there's any shenanigans in play here. <laughs> right. There's no uh, trick plays here. We're not trying to rope you in. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just want to, I want to expose the patron material in September to everybody who'd like to see it. We're going to be adding more stuff with you and me. Yep. We're going to be adding fantasy football, weekly shows. We might be adding a handicap show. We're doing the golf instruction. We're doing the peace shows. There's lots of stuff, and I want as many people to, to feel it and see it as possible. So just Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. Send me a note. I'll, I will, out of my pocket, literally send you the five bucks for the first month. Great. Okay? Very generous. Right. I used to always go sign up for health clubs, and it was always, look, now this is a great deal, but it expires tomorrow. Do you remember, you remember all those deals? <laughs> now, if you don't sign up today, you're probably not going to get this deal tomorrow. And this is not a timeshare. <laughs> Where you have to hire an attorney to get you out of it when you're like 82 years old right. and you're still having to pay year after year because you signed oh. a lifetime con. No, I have friends no. that, that not a timeshare. I have friends that take those deals all the time. Go to Vegas, oh, a free trip Hawaii, to Vegas, you name it. Yeah, but they always end up going. They, oh, they go. Oh, it's easy. You just say no. But I, I don't think I have it in me. I think if I go, I'm going to be owning well, a timeshare. They, they send you to Vegas. <laughs> they put you up in a room. Yeah. You just got to come to a little meeting. That's right. It's an hour. It's an hour out yeah. of your day. It's an hour with, uh. with a big guy at the at the back going. You can't leave. 
you, that's until right. you sign here. Sign right here, yeah. buddy boy. Yeah. All, All right. right, another stuff segment. Go. During the coronavirus quarantine, Sylvester Stallone has oh, been... Oh, my God. He's been editing a new director's cut of Rocky Four. You familiar with Rocky Four? Okay, let me remember. Boy, is he bored. <laughs> Doing a director's cut. Rocky Four. Yes. Was not Yvonne Drago. It absolutely was Yvonne Drago. So yes. what was Rocky Three? Mr. T, Clubber Lang. Clubber. Oh, Rocky Two was the rematch. Rocky Three was Clubber Lang. Yes. Rocky Four. Oh, the 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 training montage oh. music from Russia when he's got the log. <laughs> the log. And that's where he goes. <laughs> Listen. Tonight, I scenes change. That's right. And if yous could change and eyes could change, God. we alls could change. And the, Terrible. And the, and the president of the premiere gets up. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Oh, Brigitte yeah. Nielsen was Rocket, in that too, by the way. Of course she was. Yeah, yeah, of course she was. All right, so on his Instagram account, he's been giving updates about the progress on how this director's cut of Rocky Four he thinks we want for some reason, which might yeah. be kind of cool, and on how it's going. And this weekend, or this past weekend, he said that so far it looks great, and he claimed that the cut will commemorate the film's 35th anniversary. I can't believe it's 35 years old. Yeah. On November 21st, but here's where film Twitter becomes unglued. Now, do you remember this movie very well? If you, if you look at the comments on his post, you'll see several fans asking about Polly's robot. Sure, I remember Polly's robot. <laughs> do you remember the robot? Of course, they gave Polly a robot for his birthday. <laughs> That's right, they did. Of course. It's kind of hokey. And I, no, it's great. All right, well, you're, it's great. you're it's with great these gift. guys. Very thoughtful. Someone asked Stallone not to cut the robot, and he responded with, I don't like the robot anymore. He then tells another, the robot is going to the junkyard forever. Oh, no. I know, people are pissed. How, I like the robot. How dare he, right? It's a great time capsule oh, of the 80s. the robot in. The robot <laughs> comes wheeling in. Paul's like, what the hell is that? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and it sort of talked uh, like a robot Remember would when talk. he gave him a watch in Rocky 1 or 2 for his birthday? He threw it, and they had a big fight in the downstairs in the parking garage. Yeah, he took swings at Stallone. Yeah, yeah. yeah he took swings. <laughs> son of a... By the way. My, my, my sister, you son of a... Hey, all you had to do was ask. <laughs> he just wanted a job. He, he sees the Rocky pinball machine, and he whips his whiskey bottle I through I think it. Rocky was great to Pauly over the years. Of course. I mean, what was what kind of a life was Pauly going to have? I mean, P- outside... Pauly, Pauly... And Pauly did not like it when they went to Central L.A. to train for the rematch with uh, with uh, Apollo. Apollo Creed. No, no, with no, uh, no. Clubber Lang. Clubber Lang. Oh, he did not like, he was sleeping with the with the uh, newspapers as his, yeah. as his blanket. He did not like the the motel. He was used to, at that point, he was used to the Best Western Plus. <laughs> That's true. I forgot about, yeah, what's he complaining about? Oh, no, by that looking. point, they, they yeah. had all kinds of money, and yeah, now yeah. all of a sudden, there's, they're, they're, I think if you watch that back, that doesn't age well. I think it might be a little racial. I think Polly had a little bit of a, a racist side to him. If you watch that back, I oh, think. Oh, well, there's no question about it. <laughs> okay, well, I just don't know if you remember there's or not. No question about <laughs> yeah. it. So we'll see how this director's cut comes out. Yeah, we'll see if did the I see by the way Dolph Lundgren in like a like a online trading commercial. I think you did, yeah. Did yeah. I not see or a Geico? Is he on a Geico commercial? I like those Geico commercials. I love them. They always we bring have an the ant old problem. Back. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the ant problem. Yeah, with all the ants <laughs> sitting around bugging everyone. By the way, but we have an ant problem. <clears throat> congratulations to Gary Portnoy, the singer of everyone guest on Mitch Unfiltered. Correct. Oh, now he's got Applebee's. Now he's I, making a ton of money. I just saw the Applebee's. Oh thing. yeah, good for him. Should we write him a little note? Good for you on Applebee's. Should we ask him how much? How much you get for Applebee's? I think it's partly. Big. I think Applebee's listens to the podcast, and they said, "Oh yeah, that is a great song. We should use it." I, Gary I think, Portnoy owes us my money. My guess is that they probably knew of the song before we you had think him so? on. Yeah. Ah, all right, I yeah. tried. All right, yeah, we still owe Gary Portnoy a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We did play it a lot. <laughs> all right, my other stuff. I don't have a lot because we've done a lot already. I'll just say we talked a lot about Chadwick Boseman yes. at the uh, beginning of the show. There were two other 
passings this this week that I think are worthy of mention, especially on a sports slash leisure, whatever you want to call this podcast. Two guys that I was I was fans of. On some level, I was fans of both of them. Lute Olson. Oh yeah. The eighty five year old Great coach, Hall of Fame coach, Arizona, Iowa before that. Ten, I didn't know he was 10 years at Iowa. That's yeah. a long time. He came to Arizona from Iowa. And what he did with the Arizona basketball program, I think if you really did a study or you, you called somebody, maybe we'll do this on 106P this Thursday. For all the people that, that take me up on my offer for a free September, you'll hear it. We should, we should put in perspective – what he did, the job that he did at Arizona, what he took over and what he built them into, yeah. got to be one of the great kind of college basketball success stories, turnaround, program turnarounds in the history of college basketball. Gone at the age of 85, was a, was a guest many times on our morning show over the years, especially in the early years of my midday and morning show on KJR. Is that right? Always, I didn't know always was kind to Great. me, was always on. May he rest in peace. And then the other guy played for the Portland Trailblazers. I remember him, not fondly because we hated him. Okay. Before UConn, it's kind of the same thing about Arizona. Arizona was not a great basketball program at all when Lute Olsen came there. And then over the next 20 years or whatever yeah. it was, 25 years, it became the preeminent program in the West. I was going to ask you, like, so in 1990, Mitch Levy, I say, what do you think about Lute Olsen in, in Arizona? Would you have said, oh, they're, they're a powerhouse? Well, I got to go back to when 90 was. Or, you know, 90, 91, 90, uh, you know. Yeah, they, they were getting. They, they would have thought that They on were the getting Coast. really good. Yeah. They were getting really they had good. some good players come through They there. were getting really good. And. The other guy, Cliff, Cliff Robinson, yeah. who played for the Port, you might remember him for oh. the Portland Trailblazers, Phoenix Suns, whatever. Good teams, those Trailblazers. All star, whatever. Yeah. I remember him at UConn when I was going to Syracuse in 85 to 89. He, if, if he's not exact, I don't know what his age was. He's probably either exactly the same age as me or one year younger or one year older because I remember. He's 53. Okay, I'm 53. There you go. He was like a freshman when I was I watched him come to the Dome. <laughs> so you had to reckon with him for four years? <laughs> you well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's what I was going to say. Yeah. You know, Jim Calhoun did at UConn what Lute Olson did at oh, Arizona. Interesting. You, and, you know. In, in, in years later, the Rip Hamiltons and Ray Allens and El Amins and national champion, UConn became a huge power. It just started with Cliff Robinson oh, okay. in 85, 86, 87. Tate George, I think, was a guy who came there. Chris, uh, there was a, a guard there. Chris, um, can't remember his name. Little guard there. But this was before Jim Calhoun got, and then they started getting Danielle Marshall, right. Donnie Marshall from Federal Way, yeah, yeah. Ray Allen, El Amin. Oh, I love um, Khalid El Amin. There was just all these guys. <laughs> ben Gordon. I mean, the list goes on. Shabazz, Napier. But it started with Clifford Robinson, huh. that group. That's when they first started to get good. So may he rest in peace at age 53. Sorry to hear that. 53. You think that scares me? Yeah, a little bit. Same age? When I'm a Sonics fan, the starting... The starting lineup for the Portland Trailblazers is Terry Porter, Clyde Drexler, Buck Williams, um, Kevin Duckworth, and maybe Cliff Robinson. But he was on some of those really – I think there's another forward I'm missing. But Oh, Jerome Kersey. Jerome Kersey. Cliff Robinson was the yeah. sixth man. That, that was a hell of a team. And the fact that they never won it, one of those uh, – Portland teams were so good. They just Who was the a coach of those teams? Rick Adelman? Rick Adelman. And they just kicked the shit out of it. They, they'd be the number one seed. Sonics would be the eighth. And Cliff Robinson's dunking all over. He was – he was such a beast. Sorry to see yeah. that. Yeah. God. I know. So sad to hear. Yeah. Cliff Robinson. Anyway, that's my, that's my other stuff for the day.
It's finally over for Jennifer Lopez and Alex Rodriguez. I don't know if you saw that. Well, it's not over for their marriage. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, they will not be buying the New York Mets, it yeah. turns out. Yeah. Yeah. They were in a serious battle with hedge fund billionaire Steve Cohen to buy him from the Wilpon family, but they officially dropped out of the running on Friday night. So I can give you some insight on that. Please. But I don't know that you would care or anybody else would care. Their ownership group was hodgepodge. Well, there were some names in there that I was... I was Big time names. Yeah, but there was a couple other where at, I was like, they have that kind of money? Other at, no, nobody has that kind of money. Okay. That's the problem. Yeah, I didn't sit See, right. with the NBA and Major League Baseball and, and the NFL, what they want is they want the guy, to the, the, the big aircraft carrier to come in, buy the team. They don't want 50 owners. Fine. That they makes don't want sense. 50 they owners. They want Steve Ballmer. They want one guy yeah. to come in with his... 15 or 20 billion yeah. uh, fork down two or three billion maybe have a couple of minority partners that's what they want and what i gathered is from reading between the lines is that the a-rod j-lo group was just like a lot of stars or some stars in there and just a, a lot of people was just a hodgepodge of and it just yeah. and the guy that they're going to take the the bid from i was kind of hoping they were going to take it from the guy who owns the sixers the guy who who also got turned down was the the majority owner of the Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Devils. A guy by the name of Josh Harris, okay. whom I've met. Okay. A nice, nice, nice guy. They don't like him in Philadelphia and New Jersey, but nobody likes their owners. Philadelphia because, doesn't like anybody. They, well, the snowballs of Santa Claus. You know, they hate everyone. Everybody thinks that he just dogged it on purpose. He built... He, Oh, knocked down the 76. Anyway, he was he's a, a billionaire hedge funder financial guy. Okay. He was in the mix, but they're going to ultimately sell it, I think, to Steve Cohen and his group. Yeah, that's what it who's looks also, like. I think Steve Cohen is the hedge fund guy, and um, I think Josh Harris, Harris is a private and a private equity guy, but big time money. It was yeah. never going to be the the Lopez A Rod. Deal. Yeah, I don't Sorry. have the names. Sorry, A Rod. It was like current players that wanted to be. Yeah, there were some guys in there. There were some like basketball players. Yeah. Like Steph Curry or somebody. Like, how in do you there? have yeah. that kind of money it yet? It was weird. Yeah, it didn't seem right to me. All right, just a quick one. Lori Laughlin and her husband. Going to jail. Massimo Giannulli. Yes. That's right. I said that. Nice. Right. I met him too. You met Massimo? I know, I know Massimo. Well, I don't know Massimo, but I met him, yes. I used to wear was, Massimo clothes. You did? Oh, From yeah. From Target? It was <laughs> probably. I think he sold it to Target. He sold his line to Target. He I had think. a big brand for him. Massimo was everywhere. I didn't know yeah, who yeah. Massimo was when I met him, and they had to explain to me who this guy was, and then I heard. <laughs> Where'd you meet him? Who he, was, who he was married to, and I just almost fell out of my chair. Yeah. Yeah. I was playing golf in Los Angeles, and we were playing with a group, and our group, after we finished our round, went and had a couple cocktails and we joined another group and he was in that group so he's telling stories and I'm like and I'm like who is this guy? so I yeah, yeah. got in the car to go leave and I was like who's this guy Ma? and they're like okay okay <laughs> okay this guy is married to Le- to Lori and when I heard Lori Laughlin now we're talking right full house I, I couldn't even talk for the next like hour <laughs> right I was stunned I always loved I always had a crush on Lori Laughlin <sighs> well they're the, both going to jail yeah right? the, the judge accepted the plea deals two the months, couple agreed to months? back in May Lori sentenced to two months behind bars and a $15,000 fine and two years probation along with performing 100 hours of community service uh, he got a little bit more. Five months incarceration, a fine of 250000 and supervised release for two years after his So sentence. their kids aren't all-time rowing? <laughs> Turns out. Rowers? I just assume that's how it always worked. That if, you, if your parents give a big donation, like, why did they have to go through all that? I just thought if you gave money to the school, they'd maybe, all right, there's SATs aren't there, but we'll let them in. I just, I don't understand why they had to go through the fake rowing team and all that. It doesn't make any sense to me. You think the sentences are too harsh or right on or do you not, do you not care? Well, if you follow it like I have, mm-hmm. there's been a string of these. You know, there's like 50 people or 40 people that have 
pled guilty to some form of this being connected with this guy, Rick Singer, I think his name That's is. That's right. That sounds right. Um, and they have all, the, every last one of them that pled guilty has gone to jail. Oh, okay. It's been like, it's been like the federal investigators and, and prosecutors have decided we are, everybody is going to, mm. even if it's, the, the, the woman from, um, Desperate Housewives went to jail. Felicity Huffman went to That's jail. Right, She's already yeah. out. She's already out. Yeah. The only reason this has taken so long is because they fought it for they a appealed, long time. Right? Yeah. They just fought it for a long time. And then ultimately, <laughs> federal, federal prosecutors like, they're going to jail just like everybody else is going to jail. Who did I, who did I see? Hot Pockets. Hot Pockets. Remember the guy? Oh, that's right. Remember yeah. the guy that was uh, went into the bank? That's right. Yeah, he, yeah. He got, he got, and then they, they interviewed him when they were putting him in the police car. He's like, damn straight it was worth it. Hot Pockets. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, the Hot Pocket, the heir to Hot Pockets. I couldn't she believe went, there was one. But she, yeah. she went to jail. Yeah. Because she said her kid was like a, I don't know, golf star, tennis star, rowing star. Anyway. Sending a message, I guess. I guess so. No playing around. All right. You ready for my last, last one? Oh, you have a last, last one? Oh, I have one more I could probably Are do. Are you sure? You, you may not want to sniff after you hear this. Sanitation workers. Come on. I don't want to sniff since the horse shit on Ocean Shores beaches. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm, sitting, I'm sitting there watching a, a, a football game with my kids, and all yeah. of a sudden a horse walks by. Yeah, <laughs> right. People, I was like, wait, wait, wait a second. Well, people horse what the hell is Milton Pearl doing here? <laughs> Milton Pearl. <laughs> all right, sanitation get workers. That one? Uh, Yes, okay. I got him. I don't think anybody else got it. Well, that's been a long time rumor, so I'm very familiar with Milton. <laughs> what the hell is Milty doing here? Uncle Milty. Who knew he had four legs? All right. Sanitation work five, maybe. Sanitation workers cleaning out a vault toilet. Now, I'm going to have to explain to you what a vault toilet is because I, I have a feeling you don't know what a vault toilet is. Does this have anything is. to do with Dutch oven that you taught me about? And <laughs> I'm glad I could uh, teach 105P, you folks. <laughs> I got a lesson about a lot of different things. The finer things I found in out life. that I'm naive about a lot of different things. Go ahead. So, you don't go camping, but oftentimes when you go camping, they don't have running water, but they have these things called vault toilets, similar to like a porta potty or a, a Santa can or whatever you call it, a portable toilet. Yeah. It just, whatever goes in from people just goes straight down. There's no pipes, no nothing. It just sits in this tank, all right, of pee and poo. Can you, yeah. It's, and when you go camping, it sits there and bakes in the sun all day and the smell just weaponizes by, by nighttime. All right. So now you know what and a I'm vault. I'm supposed to want to go camping after <laughs> this. <laughs> now you know what a vault toilet is. Um, well, these What's workers, the difference between that and a, po- and a porta potty? I don't think there is much. I think these are just bigger. These are the ones at camping are huge, okay. so it can hold a ton. All right. All right. I'm looking forward to it. Yes. So Somebody I, has to clean this thing. They do, and they also have to like search through to make sure cans and because Oy. people throw cans and bottles and yeah. Oy. In the Flathead National Forest in Montana, the workers said they found a poop-soaked phone at the bottom of the toilet tank. All right. Tracy Cow of A1 Sanitation said he, he and his team were cleaning out the tank of the vault toilet near Holland Lake when he spotted the iPhone 11 Pro at the bottom. Oh. Nice phone, right? Yeah. That might be I something. got an iPhone something or other. I got an iPhone 11, yeah. So what Not they did is they pulled it out, they sanitized it, and they plugged it in, and they were shocked to discover it still worked. Oh, they should do an, a, a, a commercial for Apple. They kind of should, who just, right? Who just uh, announced a big stock split. Go ahead. I tell you, when I go to those toilets, sometimes it's late at night. I got the headlamp on, and I got my phone. I'm always thinking, what would I do if I dropped this phone in this thing? Would I go in at? No, you wouldn't go in after it. You'll call me, and I'll buy <laughs> another one. <laughs> the phone was locked, but they put in another SIM card, and eventually got some ident- identifying info from it. They left a voicemail for the owner, who was shocked to say the least, that this thing, because she said the last time I saw it was in a toilet at a campground. So it was a woman. It was a woman. She couldn't believe they actually had the phone. And so, yeah, they, they said, good news, we're sending it back to her. She's, she's getting her phone that was in a vault toilet for God knows how long. But they were nice enough to sanitize it. So 
do you have any thoughts? Any uh, any thoughts on this story? Well, there's one extra quote from the owner that says, first she was skeptical. By the way, does Hotshot think that he's entertaining <laughs> okay, when he does Frank. this? Thank <laughs> you, Frank, from Tucson. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Does he think he's funny with this, or does he realize just how irritating this is? <laughs> the owner of the phone was skeptical. Frank. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank Skip you. Skip ahead, Frank. That's right. Yeah. Good call. Skip to Rocky, Frank. Rocky's yeah. coming up here shortly. Yeah. Just hit the little 15-second button. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the owner of the phone, skeptical at first, thinking it was a scam, and was quoted as saying, this whole thing stinks to high heaven. <laughs> the woman used to be able to swipe up to unlock her phone. Now she has to wipe up. <laughs> <laughs> when the worker got the phone to power up, he said, you got to be shitting me. <laughs> Couldn't believe it worked. Oh, God. One small change to her phone is that instead of playing words with friends, she now has to play turds with friends. <laughs> there you go. Oh, Good one. There you go, Frank. That was for you. So if your phone falls in there, you're not... already gotten a new phone? Do we know the answer Oh, I'm sure she did, yeah. She was shocked that they reached out to her. Like, I I just thought it was gone. Those are like $1,000. I mean, you know, they're not cheap. $1,000 phone, just... I'm telling you, what's down there is evil. Straight evil. Do you have... Do you think you have to tell me what's down there? I know what's down there. But it sits there I know the human body. For God knows how long it sits there. I I don't... Okay. Bakes in the sun. I was going to have a bite to eat when you leave, for God's sake. Hang on to your phone. I can't say episode 106 is in the books fast enough. (laughs) 